For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Jersey. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Blatt Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Happy Wednesday, one and all. This is the Sports Bass Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I'm your host, Mike Gill. What's going on, everybody? Josh Henning producing today's show. You out there, we've got a ton to dive into. We'll start right off with some news that uh, probably will tickle the fancy of some Eagles fans out there. Offensive coordinator Brian Johnson spoke today. Uh, he has been tabbed for an interview, a head coaching interview. I can see Eagles fans now hoping that he gets hired before the game on Monday night. That can't happen. But that is the NFL, right? You have a guy you don't like, another team likes him, and your first thought is you can have him, i.e. John Gannon getting head coaching interviews for the past two seasons, and then he got hired by the Arizona Cardinals, and everybody was thrilled that he got hired. My question for you would be, if you had the opportunity, would you take John Gannon back right now? Seriously. As they get ready to play on Monday night against the Bucks, would you take John Gannon back to be the head coach of the field, uh, the defensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles? Sure you would, right? You probably would at this point. What does it mean when a coordinator gets hired? What does it mean when a coordinator, excuse me, gets a head coaching interview? Does that suggest that he is really good at his job? Is it a relationship thing? Like, I don't think, by the way, I don't think that Brian Johnson's going to get this job. I don't think he's going to get hired by the Carolina Panthers. But why would the Carolina Panthers even be interested in talking to Brian Johnson, a guy that we all, uh, many of the fans anyway, deem to have, you know, not uh, done a great job this year. The Eagles offense is kind of, you know, they're top 10 in almost every statistical category for whatever that's worth, right? They're one of the top 10 scoring offenses in football. They're one of the top 10 passing offenses of football or rushing offenses. Um, they are total their total yards this year, they're one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. They are eighth in total yards this year. They average 354 yards a game. I think if, uh, one thing that stands out about Carolina is Brian Johnson is deemed to be somewhat of a quarterback whisperer, guru guy. It's kind of how he got his name. For those of you who don't really know much about Brian Johnson, he was a quarterback in college, and he was a college offensive coordinator at Utah and Florida with the Gators and some other stops around college football. 
and he has kind of been known as a college, uh, as a quarterback guy. He got hired here by Nick Sirianni in 2021 to be a uh, quarterback's coach, and now he has kind of worked his way up to offensive play caller. I think he called plays at Florida for a year, so he has a little bit of experience in calling plays. But what does Carolina see? They see a guy who could potentially mesh with their number one overall pick in Bryce Young, a guy that they invested a lot of trade capital to go get. So if they can, if they think they have a guy who can connect with him, the quarterback, they might take a shot. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. Ironically enough, and John McMullen's going to join us at 3 o'clock today, we were having this conversation on their show this morning about whether or not Brian Johnson would get an interview, and most of us didn't think that would be the case. I think John said he thought he would, and here he is. He's getting an interview to be the Carolina Panthers head coach. Can he show everybody on Monday night that he is deserving of that head coaching job? We shall see. Uh, a couple text messages to start the show. 609-403-0973. Mike, I'd never take Gannon back. He screwed us out of the Super Bowl. No chance. Well, I don't know that he screwed the Eagles out of a Super Bowl. Um, we probably see that a little differently here. I think John Gannon didn't have a great game, but I don't think he screwed them out of the Super Bowl. And guess what? I would ask you again. Would you have, as your defensive coordinator, Sean Desai, Matt Patricia, or John Gannon? John Gannon had this defense as the number two defense in football, and right now you've got a disaster. If your answer is not Gannon, you need to have your brains examined. But I digress on that. John Gannon is not here. He's not coming back. He's not going to coordinate this defense. Who is? Well, it's going to be Matt Patricia. And Matt Patricia has a challenge on his hand in that his unit right now is getting questioned up and down. While I talk about Brian Johnson getting a head coaching interview, he's doing so with a top 10 offense in almost every statistical category. If you're pointing the finger at the defense, you're looking at a bottom 10 defense in almost every statistical category. They are bottom 10 in the league in yards per game. They are second from the bottom in passing yards per game. They give up 252 passing yards a game. Only Washington is worse. They are in the top, you know, 12 against the run. But that number went from number one at one point during the season. And now it is, you know, back towards the middle of the pack. And in, to to in uh, terms of points per game, the Eagles are third from the bottom. They give up 25 points a game. So their defense has taken a huge drop-off from where they were last year. We keep trying. You know, it's human nature, everybody, right? It's human nature to compare. We love to compare, and we generally compare the most recent thing we have, right? When we look at the NFL draft, which is coming up, you know, the mock drafts are out there. We hear about a player, and we want a comp, right? Um, who does that player remind you of? Well, he reminds me. We want to comp. We want to compare. Well, when we compare the Eagles, we generally go to what we just saw the year before. Last year, this is what the Eagles did, and it worked. Last year, this is who the Eagles were, and it worked. Well, 
Last year ain't walking through that door, right? If you want to do the, uh, what was that, the Rick Pitino game that they used to play, the uh, Boston Celtics? Yep, the Rick Pitino game. When he started rattling off all the random Celtics, he's like, you know, Larry Bird ain't walking through that door. Yeah. And then it turned into literally for the rest of sports time, one of the most fun games is when a team is struggling with the Eagles. You could say, you know what? Jim Johnson ain't walking through that door. Brian Dawkins ain't walking through that door. Malcolm Jenkins. Yeah, well, those guys are a little further back than I'm talking about. I'm just going back to last year. Those guys aren't walking through the door. John Gannon and those players are not walking through the door. T.J. Edgard, Kazir White, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Marcus Epps, uh, Javon Hargrave. They are not walking through that door to help you out on Monday night. But as this text message says, come on, Mike, we lost key players from last year. I don't ever want to hear Gannon's name again. You lost key players from last year. See, this is where you have to acknowledge Gannon some credit here. You're saying, I don't want to hear his name again. We lost key players. Why did those key players have great years? Well, John Gannon was the coordinator when those key players had their best years. And right? some of the players that were here last year, are they having the same year as they had last year? No. Is Hassan Reddick having the same year? No, but I, I don't know if he's the best in now comparison. I think he's top of the list of comparison. He was dominant last year. This year, he's not close to the same player. Well, they're also dropping him in coverage. Well, that's the last two weeks. I mean, for the most part. more than two weeks. Uh, maybe, but I think it's been more. He, he wasn't dropping in coverage the first 15 weeks of this season. That happened really when Patricia kind of took over, and not really the beginning. But even if so, he didn't have. How many sacks did Reddick have last year? 18? I think it was 18. He has 11 this year. Yeah, he's not close. So, to me, he's at the top of the list of guys who have, I don't want to say, he doesn't stink. Last year, he was a game wrecker. This year, he's playing in the game. He's not the same guy. I don't know if it's Reddick. 16 sacks last year. 16 plus in the playoffs. I think he ended up with 19 if you total them all together. Regardless, he don't have 16 sacks. Yeah, he had three and a half in the postseason. There you go. Um, For whatever reason, and you guys can extrapolate all you want. Why isn't Reddick as good as he was a year ago? Why isn't Josh Sweat as good as he was a year ago? Josh Sweat's not close. To me, Sweat's the larger, even larger than because last year Sweat had 11 sacks. This year he's six and a half. Yeah, 220, 221, whatever guy you think is. Those two guys, to me, their impact that they had last year is not the same, and that's a huge problem. Why is that? Have they fallen off? Is it the coach? Is it the coordinator? I know the coordinator's not here, and they run a similar style of defense. But did the other coordinator know how to use those guys better? Um, you can make a strong argument. Brandon Graham, he is way off of last year's numbers. Uh, last year he had 11 sacks. Graham last year, I thought it was is either 10 or 11. Let me double double digits. I know he had double know it digits. Because it was the most sacks he ever had in, in a season. In yeah, and it's the first time he's ever had double digits. This year, how many sacks does Graham have? Four, he three, had 11 two. 11 last year, three this year. Yeah, not good. Um, Fletcher Cox, double digit sacks. Um, not double digit sacks, I don't think, last year. But he had probably his highest total um, sacks last season. Um, he's... You know, and look, Graham and Fletcher, you could say, well, they're a year older. Okay, they're getting older. I don't think that their numbers should be the same. I mean, Fletcher is not that crazy. He went from seven last year to five this year. Yeah, I'm saying those guys, uh, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham's sack numbers are way off. I think 
Gannon did a much better job of using him. Uh, Hargrave had 12 sacks or 11 sacks last year. You've lost him. You didn't get the same production from Jalen Carter against the pass, and again, the pass we- rush that you got from Hargrave. So, you know, you lost a little there. But if you want to talk about John Gannon's impact, he had over 70 sacks from this team. You're not getting the same impact. And I don't know whose fault that is. Is it the coordinator or the players, the same players, just not as good this year? And why aren't they as good this year? I I think that you have to factor in whether people like listen, I was not a Gannon guy and I have said, you know, been saying for weeks now that Gannon would have done a better job with his defense because Gannon basically when when he went to the Super Bowl, for better or for worse, he said, Look, we have won this year by playing a certain way. He said, We have won almost every game this year with a certain style of defense. I'm not going to stop playing that style of defense just because I'm in the biggest game of the year. I gotta, I have to ride the horses that got me here. Well, the problem is this year that you know if we are to take what the coaches are saying to us in the me in the media press conferences, they're basically saying, "Well, we're trying. We gotta try harder." And it's like, well, what you're doing isn't working. Yeah, listen. I mean, the Eagles won a Super Bowl. Their defense wasn't great in that game. That doesn't mean the defense stinks. Just for that game, they weren't very good. Right. Um, I think the Eagles were a kind of that byproduct. Their defense didn't stink. They just weren't very good in the biggest game of the year. That's no, you know, that's not a big picture thing of they're just a terrible defense. They were not good in the biggest game of the year. And for whatever reasons, look, I thought Gannon's, uh, did not have a great day against, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, but I have a feeling that no matter, uh, who was coordinating the defense on that day probably would have had a tough da- time against the Kansas City Chiefs offense. They're very good. Uh, last year with Patrick Mahomes and, and Biennemi and, and, and Andy Reid and some of the weapons they have. But that's either here or there. Why is this defense taking such a drop? Is it the coordinator? Is it the talent? Because Gannon had the similar talent. Now, there was a lot of guys. The two linebackers are gone. The two safeties are gone. Right. The two corners are the same. Now, you might quickly say, well, Bradbury's not as good. Is he not as good or is he being used differently? I don't really know the answer to that question. Is he not as good or is he being used differently? I would assume he's being used pretty similarly. This defensive scheme is supposed to be, Desai was brought here because the system was supposed to be similar to what Gannon did the year before, that you're not asking the two corners to become completely different players you both had great years last year we can all agree that Bradbury and Slay both had pretty solid seasons last year so let's use them very similarly so if they're being used similarly either they completely had a drop off and I think Bradbury you can make an argument that his drop off was pretty steep compared to Slay Slay's got hurt but he wasn't playing you know, he wasn't an all-pro. You know, last year, Darius Slay was named to the players' all-pro team. Right. This year, he, you know, played good, not great. Bradbury last year, you could say, was really good. He has been really dreadful this year. Right. Um, why is that? Is it just, hey, he's not the same player? The system's different? I don't know. I mean, what do you guys think out there? I mean, my position is, is that, you know, the the – the film guys, you know, the people who break down the film, they are the ones who have said that 
the Eagles are using Bradbury as a man corner too much, and that's part of the reason why he's getting beat. Whereas Bradbury's reputation was as a very good zone corner. So just based off of that information, you know, when I listen to guys, you know, like the Jason Avants and the Quentin Michaels and the Greg Cosells and guys like that, that's their perspective. So I'm assuming that if they're seeing it, then the Eagles are using Bradbury differently than he was used last year. Now, whether that's a system fit or that's just a, you know, individual, you know, the, the idea that, you know, like when when Bill Walsh had the West Coast offense, like me and me and Moshe talked about this a couple weeks ago, Mike, um, when I was filling in for you during the, the Christmas holiday. And we talked about how, you know, when Bill Walsh had the West Coast offense, everyone who came from that lineage, you know, Mike Holmgren, Steve Mariucci, to Andy Reid, everyone down the line, they didn't run the offense the exact same way Bill Walsh did. They all had their own little variations or personal, you know, changes they or little spins they put to it. So is, you know, Sean Desai, yes, he might be running Vic Fangio's offense, but he might be running, running his variations similar to how John Gannon ran his variation of Fangio's offense. Yeah, I mean, look, they're not carbon copies, but so they have saying, a lot of the same principles. So that's why I'm saying that you can have the same principles and still use Bradbury differently. Yeah, I'm saying, you know, there's a lot of the same principles. Somebody texted in about turnovers. Last year, the Eagles defense had 17 interceptions. This year, they have nine. Uh, that's a big drop off. And, and look, I think turnovers, uh, some people think that you can create them. Other people look, they're just like, um, it, it's circumstance. Right. So that know? is luck. Sometimes a ball bounces off of uh, the wide receiver's shoulder pad and you just happen to be there, but they've had a big drop in the amount of turnovers that they've created. 17 interceptions last year. They recovered 10 fumbles. This year, uh, they have nine fumble recoveries and nine interceptions. So they have a big drop off. Uh, Chris in Rio Grande says, can we just say what it is? Just tell me how many turnovers did we have last year and how many turnovers we created to how many turnovers we have this year and how many turnovers we created. That's the difference between this year's team and last year's team. So you have a basically a drop-off from 17 interceptions down to nine. So that's an eight difference right there. So that's eight turnovers and one fumble. So you have nine created turnovers last year more from your defense than you have this season. Uh, I think another thing that you're discounting there is the amount of sacks. Last year, um, 70 plus sacks, right? Um, that you had? I think you, you had, had 70 sacks last year. Yeah, you had 70 total sacks last year. Right now, this season, uh, you have 43. You've dropped off 30, 27 sacks. And that's not just because Javon Hargrave isn't here. We can't, we can't just point to Hargrave not being here as the only reason. Because if Hargrave isn't here is the, is what we point to, well, that's not, <laughs> Hargrave himself did not account for, what, what would that be? 27 sacks? Is that number of difference? He had what, 11? He had 11. Right, so you've got about what a, a six or seven difference. I don't know how many. You have Carter sixteen. Had. You have sixteen sacks still unaccounted for. If you, you well, no. Listen, I just went through it. I mean, yeah, you lost Hargrave. You're placing with Carter, and the difference there is about six, seven sacks. But you've got guys who are still here from last year who were not holding up their end of the bargain. Now, going into the season, there was no way you could have thought that Javon Hargrave was going to get another sixteen sack season, and that you were going to get another double digit sack season from Graham and another double digit sack season from sweat so i feel like 
70 was unattainable. 43 seems low. Maybe somewhere in the 50s would have been a little different. I don't know. But the defense has the same base, basic talent on the defensive line, the same two corners. Now, you lost both safeties. You had to replace both safeties. Correct. You also had a revolving door at corner. And, of course, the two linebackers. So there was a lot of turnover here on the defense. But I'll say this. As much turnover as they had on the defense, the first half of the year, you might not have thought this defense was the 85 Bears, but you didn't think they were what we're watching right now. Right. It, it had a, compl- a massive regression. Yeah, a massive regression from not only last year to the first half of this season. Because they slowed down the Dolphins and the Chiefs, but then after that, they couldn't slow down you and me, Mike. No, uh, Hassan started off the season hurt, wearing a club the first three weeks, and then he did get it going. He would be closer to 16 if he was healthy to start the year, I think. But something, um, yeah, I, I do agree that he got off to a slow start. He had a solid middle but I don't know that Reddick has been. I don't know if a slow start accounts for five sacks, though. Even if it does. I mean, I'm just saying he has not been impactful these last. When this team has really struggled down the stretch here uh, against the Giants, no sacks. Arizona, zero. Giants on Christmas, zero. Seattle, zero. So, yeah, I agree. So, take the first three weeks of the season and say, well, he got off to a slow start. Well, what about the last three weeks of the season when you're playing the Giants, Arizona, and the Giants in Seattle? Zero, 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 zero. Now, he had two against Dallas. He had a half against San Francisco. Zero. So from Buffalo to the end of the year, he had two and a half sacks. The first half of the season, even when he got off to a slow start, he had zero against New England, one against Washington, two against the Rams, two and a half against the Jets. So you're talking about, you know, four and a half, five, five and a half sacks before they even got to halfway through the season. So I think Reddick really had a pretty, you know, uh, the, the last four games of the year, when you're looking at why this defense has fallen apart, he has not been uh, a part of it at all. I mean, really, you take a look at, where has he been the last four weeks of the season? Pretty much non-existence. You that, take a look at his partner on the other side, right. Josh Sweat. Where has he been the last half of this season? And I'm going to tell you that I can't even remember the last time Josh Sweat recorded a sack. I'll find it for a year in a second. But I don't remember the last time he actually was credited with the sack. It was, let's see, the last time Josh Sweat had a sack was Dallas on November 5th. This is the last time he had a sack. Yeah, and that gets back to the other thing that people have been saying. Again, the you know the people who study the tape have pointed to the Eagles' defense. They're running it differently. Is that you know there's a lot of times the Eagles have this coverage where there's a huge gap between where the secondary lines up and where the line of scrimmage is. And when you are allowing other teams' quarterbacks to get the ball out of their hands in two seconds, not hold the ball, it's harder for the pass rushers to get to the quarterback. Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app, 223 here on a Wednesday. You know, sometimes when the coordinator gets a job offer or an interview, you get excited. But I would stress this. And look, I think the coordinators are probably going to get let go. But keep this in mind. Turnover is not a good thing. Turnover is not a sign of good stuff. You want consistency. And Brian Johnson, I don't think he's going to get this job. The question will be, 
Will he keep his job here? Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City coming up on the Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. The 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Could Nick Sirianni be coaching for his job on Monday night? We'll get Mike's take coming up next here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN.com. This is South. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Official home for Eagles playoff football. He's in. They've got him back at the 22. Hassan Reddick. It's the super wild card round as the Eagles travel to Tampa to face the Buccaneers on Monday Night Football. 97.3 ESPN. You know, as crazy as it sounds, I would say Sirianni probably more than McCarthy. These are not my thoughts, you know what I mean, or my desire. Like, you know, I, I think Sirianni has done a, done a great job there in Philly. You know, goes to the Super Bowl last year and 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 makes a name, and then loses two coordinators. Uh, but it does not, you know, one in five after a ten and one start, and the type of losses that you that you're taking, and especially last weekend against the Giants. Good heavens! Jeff Saturday says he thinks Nick Sirianni could actually be coaching for his job more than say Mike McCarthy this weekend. Monday Night Football, listen to the game on 97.3 ESPN. Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City. Do you think Nick Sirianni is coaching for his job on Monday night? I, I do not think that. To me, that would be just crazy, right? And and would harken back to the days of, you know, uh, Billy Martin and, and George Steinbrenner of the, of the New York Yankees in the 1970s and the 1980s. Because when you look back at it, Mike, you know, the Eagles won the Super Bowl, the 2017 season. There's the 2018 Super Bowl. So this will be what? The 2024 Super Bowl will be seven Super Bowls since then, right? I don't think the Eagles are going to the Super Bowl this year, but they will have been to two of the last seven Super Bowls. They would have won one of those Super Bowls. And you're going to tell me that Jeffrey Lurie is going to fire both those coaches within, you know, a year or two years of going to the Super Bowl uh, to, to me, that's just crazy. Now, you want to tell me after next season, if the Eagles miss the playoffs or if they fall off next season, if you want to make a move from Sirianni then. But to get rid of Sirianni now, and again, I'm not a Sirianni guy. I think he needs to mature a lot. I don't like his behavior on the sidelines. But to get rid of him after he wins 11 games and takes you to a playoffs, and I think wins a playoff game Monday night in Tampa, to me is crazy. All right, well, what if they what if they did lose the game? All right, let's say they go to Tampa, they're lifeless again and just looked ill-prepared yet again, similar to what we saw against the Giants. Does that change your mind at all? It doesn't. I, I keep Sirianni. Now, what I do is, obviously, you have to look at his staff. You have to look at the way he does things. You have to bring in... You know, obviously, you're going to have a new defensive coordinator. I would suggest that maybe a new offensive coordinator, too. Uh, you know, you kind of have to look at the roster, too. I mean, Harry Roseman gets a sort of free pass off this. I know everybody was seeing him, you know, praising him as a genius. But maybe it's time to look back and say, hey, were all those Georgia guys the right picks? Was letting certain guys walk the, the right move? Uh, you know, look at what Barnett's done since, you know, since they let him go. 
so I think there's a, a little bit of blame to go around. But, yeah, even if they perform badly Monday night, I don't see how you get rid of a guy. And I understand, you know, it, this ends as badly as any Eagle season has probably ended. I don't understand how you get rid of a guy who's taking you to three straight playoff berths, won 11 games this season, and, and got you to a Super Bowl this year. I think he deserves another year to sort of right the ship. Uh, Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City is with us. Uh, the Eagles play the Bucks. Um, Brian Johnson's getting a head coaching interview. Uh, does that say anything to you about the yeah. coordinators and how you know fans view them as opposed to what possibly they really are? Yeah, you know, it says it says to me that maybe we don't know or we don't see certain things because it seems to be a Jonathan Gannon situation all over again, right? I mean, Eagles fans and, and some of us couldn't believe that, you know, Jonathan Gannon after his, what, two years here would be a head coaching candidate and, uh, and a hot head coaching candidate that, you know, he gets the job at Arizona and, you know, whether they win four or five games this season and the season on, on an up note by beating the Eagles, taking Seattle last second last Sunday – yeah, it seems strange to me and says something to me that maybe we don't exactly know what we're, you know, looking at uh, all the time. And maybe there are factors that we don't know about that go into a decision, such as how the guy coaches during practice, what the guy's like in the building during the week, how he handles meetings. I think when we look at the games, we're only seeing part of the picture, basically. Um, yeah, because I think we all would look at this offense and say, you know, what's going on? I don't think it's the worst offense in the league, although the last couple of weeks, you know, they're still top 10 in almost every statistical category, points per game, yards, rushing yards, uh, passing yards, are pretty much top 10 in almost all of them. But the offense just doesn't feel the same. In fact, Mike, Pro Football Focus ranked them as the number one offensive line in football, and even though that doesn't feel right. Yeah, it does to our eyes, right? It doesn't look right, right? I think, and I think it's the fall off from last year, basically. The offense is not as effective as it was last year. The offensive line was not as effective as it was this year. But you look at it, you look at some of the numbers, 2,000 yard receivers, you look at the numbers, some of the numbers that Hertz has put up. You know, and, and they did, you know, discount the Giant game. I, you know, I don't know what happened there, but they did put up 31 points against Arizona, and the offense, you know, left the field with a 31-28 lead that day. So it was a defense that kind of faltered in the fourth quarter. So, yeah, I think the offense, I think when we look at the offense, we say, um, you know, it's it's like a Ferrari, and maybe it's going down the street at, at or on the highway at about 90 miles an hour. But the ride is a little choppy. You know, we think it, you know, uh, it should be operating at 100 miles an hour and be a, a bit smoother. But 90 miles an hour and choppy is still pretty fast. Well, I think we all agree that the defense should look better than it does. Or do we not agree with that? Uh, absolutely. To me, the defense <laughs> is the biggest problem. And to me, the defense is the biggest problem going forward is how do you correct that defense personnel-wise going into next season? Because to me... You've got an issue at linebacker. You've got an issue at the secondary. And you've got an issue with the development of some of your young players. It's not like you're looking at the defense and saying, well, we've just got to fix, you know, uh, we need to upgrade, you know, defensive tackles. We need to bring in an edge rusher. You know, you've got an issue at cornerback. You've got an issue at linebacker. And you've got an issue with some of the young players you drafted and, and how they've developed so far. Mike, we talked about Brian Johnson getting an interview. You mentioned John Gannon. Gannon got an interview. People couldn't wait for him to leave. He gets hired. What is the biggest reason in your mind that guys like Reddick, Sweat, Graham, 
Bradbury, guys who had great years last year, have taken pretty big steps back almost across the board. Is that more, hey, they're all a year older and they lost a step? Is it the coordinator? Because the scheme seems to be the same, although not now with Matt Patricia. I don't know what the heck they're running, but you get what my gist is here. Was this Is this a player performance drop, or did they really lose John Gannon? Yeah, y- yes and no. And you're right, the scheme early in the season under the previous defensive coordinator, it was that Vic Fangio kind of bleed the field, don't give up the big play sort of um, scheme that, that Gannon, you know, kind of used the past two years. Yeah, it's a, it's a little of both, right? I, I would say it's easy to say the guys are a year older, especially at the cornerback position. That's one of those positions that when guys lose it, they seem to lose it, you know, at, at the blink of an eye. And, and up front, too, with, you know, Ben Graham and Fletcher Cox a, a year older. But, you know, I, I think what it's easy to say they're a year older, but I also just question – how did so many guys lose it all at once, right? So that leads you to say, is it scheme? Is it coaching? You know, is it age? It's probably just a combination of all three. Like more than one thing can be true. Yeah, they did get older. Maybe they lost it a little bit. And maybe it is a scheme that, that hasn't helped them, uh, you know, maybe make up for or, you know, uh, uh, compensate for any of the deficiencies brought on by age. But I do think the defense is a big problem going forward and a big challenge for Howie in the offseason. Do you have any confidence that, look, these are professionals. These guys are, you know, Matt Patricia, you know, won Super Bowls. I mean, for God's sakes, the guy was on staff that won Super Bowls. Do you have any confidence that they, I don't want to say can just flip the switch, but can figure something out to be serviceable when these playoffs get started? Well, here's where my confidence level is. You know, I don't have any confidence in Matt Patricia, right? <laughs> yeah, he won Super Bowls with Tom Brady as the quarterback. So there you go right there. They had some and good defenses. Left- they did have some good defenses, though. Yeah, but then he went to do – he left New England, and, and the head coach of New England is a pretty good defensive coach and has a lot of say in the defense. So when he's been on his own via Detroit and then back in New England and now here in Philadelphia, the results have not been great. You know, having said that, you know, I do think they're going to win on Monday night. I think they're going to go down to Tampa. I think they're going to play well. I think they're going to win the playoff game on Monday night. And then I think they're going to be go out to San Francisco. In a way, though, Mike, in a way, though, that would, like, at the end of the day, let's say we you're, you're here, you know, next week, we're talking, and we watch the game Monday night, and you say, now that performance has changed my opinion of what this team can do. No, it doesn't change anything because I think the defense uh, is an issue. The offense is a, is a different sort of situation. I think there's talent on the offensive side of the ball. I still believe in Jalen Hurts. I'm interested to see exactly what was his health status this season. Did he just kind of have a down year when compared to last year? I think offensively they've got talent at the wide receivers, you know, in, in Brown and Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard. You know, you still have some depth on that offensive line, although they have gotten older with Kelsey and Lane Johnson. Does Kelsey come back? So there are questions. But there still are the pieces on that offense to feel comfortable about, number one being uh, Jalen Hurts. So I'm going to have questions about their defense. And, and how their defense looks going into the offseason and next season. But I think they're going to win in Tampa Bay, and then I think they're going to go out to San Francisco, and they're going to get beat, but I think they're going to play a representative 
competitive game out there. And, you know, when you look back at it, Mike, I guess it, it might be just a matter of expectations. I never thought going into this season that they were returning to the Super Bowl because history says the Super Bowl loser does not return. So if you're a Super Bowl loser and you win 11 games in the regular season and you win a playoff game on the road and then you get beat by the top seed in a relatively close game, yeah, you know, not not the greatest season in the world, but not, you know, the Hindenburg blowing up, basically. <laughs> well, it all happens Monday night. We'll talk more about this matchup. These two teams have played once, uh, 25-11. That was all the way back in week three. The Phillies were still playing regular season baseball games. Heck, I don't even know that they clinched a playoff spot yet when these two teams last played. But Philly ran the ball 40 times for 201 yards in that game. It might have been one of their most complete performances of the season and you can hear all the action right here on 97.3 ESPN. Mike McGarry everybody from the Press of Atlantic City. Thank you Michael. All right Mike we'll see you down the road. Thank you. As always Mike McGarry here on the Sports Bash. He's back on Friday and uh, we'll get a quicker uh, or a uh, closer look I should say at what he thinks is going to possibly happen with this game because we'll look at the matchups a little closer and see what we're looking at. Nick Sirianni against Todd Bowles. I got a lot of text messages and I want to hit on them on the other side. So I'll open it up for you guys. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. That's the text board number. You can chime in. I see a bunch of you already hitting it up. I have coming up. McMullen will uh, get his thoughts on this uh, news and notes. It's the latest on, you know, they didn't practice today either. So they didn't really do anything. The coordinators spoke today, Brian Johnson, Matt Patricia. But one, a three-time Super Bowl champion coming up in the next hour. You will hear what he thinks at why the Eagles are struggling so much. Stick around for that. Plus, my Find Five Ugly Five Playoff Edition. That's coming up in an hour right here on the Sports Bash, live on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. 10 to the top of the hour, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Some uh, big news in the NFL. Pete Carroll is out in Seattle as the coach. He's going to, I guess, stay around to be a part of the organization, and they are expected to be interested in Dan Quinn the Cowboys defensive coordinator who was in Seattle before. So Pete Carroll is the latest head coach out. The other news that we have, Wink Martindale, he is officially done with the Giants. The Giants and Wink Martindale have officially agreed to part ways. That was a report two days ago. Didn't quite happen. It's now official. So Wink Martindale is 
a free agent as a coordinator. He might want to look for a head coaching job, although I don't know that Wink has ever had any interest as a coordinator, excuse me, as a head coach in the past. Wink has actually retired before and then come back to coaching as a defense coordinator a couple times. So he's one of those guys. He's like the Michael Jordan defensive coordinator. Yeah, so Carroll out, though. I mean, I, I got a text message from a buddy of mine. I didn't even see it. It happened about a half an hour ago. But I just looked at my phone during the break there. Pete Carroll out, and I almost fell out of my seat because I did read something that essentially said that he wanted to keep coaching. Yeah, I mean, apparently, according to the Seahawks statement, they say that he is going to evolve from head coach to become a senior advisor with the organization. Yeah, so, I mean, look, I, I, I can't imagine that. How does that Pete, conversation go? Um, right? Like, how awkward is that conversation? Well, I think if Pete wanted to keep coaching, it makes it awkward, no doubt. Like, hey, right. Pete, we don't want you to coach anymore because Pete knows. How old's Pete? He's got to be in his 70s. I know he's older than Belichick. That was always the joke that, you know, people talk about how old Belichick is, but then Carroll's older than him. Let me pull it up real quick. So even if he wants to keep coaching, I can't imagine that a team – is bringing Pete Carroll on to be the next head coach. You know, he's not the kind of guy that gets a second runaround in terms of the hiring cycle here. I know he's been, he was the coach uh, with the Jets, and I think the Patriots too. He was with the Patriots, yeah. So Pete Carroll is actually the oldest coach in the NFL for the last several years. He will turn 73 at the start of next football season. He's 72 now. Right how now. old's Belichick? Because I think he's 70 or 71, and he'll get another job. Good question. Let me see here. Cause I, I remember some people talking about how Belichick was younger than him. Yeah, I I know he's younger, but I don't, he's not like he's 78 years old, but Belichick's I think he's 71. close. Right, so he's 71, and he's going to get another job. The question is, how much longer do you really see Bill Belichick? Like, how many more years do you have to, to you know, I'm 47 years old. I can't imagine putting those type of hours in, man. How do these guys do it? Belichick seems very intent on chasing down Don Chula. I think that's what the difference is. That's great, is. but how many more, like, is he going to be coaching at 78 years old? You know, is he still going to be, you know, on the sideline and almost pushing 80? Like, Pete Carroll, you're saying a guy's almost 75 years old and... Pete Carroll's the youngest 73-year-old he's he ever seen, though. He is, but that's why I think, you know, for Pete to morph into this new role... That's a pretty good indication because I think Pete Carroll, like if Pete Carroll was 60 years old and this happened, he'd say, I don't want your stupid uh, advisory. Right. I want to go back out on the market and go get a job. I, I would, would a team hire. But if they're willing to hire Belichick, why wouldn't they be interested in hiring Pete Carroll? Belichick is at 302 right now. He needs another 26 to catch Shula. That's at least three more years with a good team. Right. I mean, two more years with a really good team. I mean, if you win, what was it, 26? He needs 26. Right. You would have to have back-to-back 13-win seasons just to tie him. So you've got to be – he's got to be thinking about three more seasons with a 10-win team. That right. gets you to 30 and, and gives why, you some cushion. But, yeah. man – so he's got to really pick the right team if he really has his sights on that. That's why a lot of people are are saying they don't think he would go to Carolina or Atlanta because those are rebuilding situations and Belichick wants to Well, I don't know. I, I think if he went to Atlanta, that would be an interesting thing because their defense is okay. It, it, it's not terrible. You have Belichick, you know, helping out with the defense. They've got some good skill players. Their quarterback situation is a problem, but Belichick has not shown the ability to win without a Tom Brady at quarterback. 
or at least pick the right But that division is wide open. That's the thing. It is. So you could go down to Atlanta and be 10 and 7 for three straight years, likely, in that division. Now, I know it's cyclical and those divisions evolve, but I think Tampa Bay has won that division, what, three straight years? Yeah. Maybe more. I'm just going off in my mind. They won last well, they year. Won they won this Brady. year and, and the year before. And then they won the Super Bowl. So, yeah, it's probably four straight seasons. How about Baker Mayfield replacing Brady? We never talked about that. Um, What? Baker Mayfield replaced Brady in Tampa. Yeah. Well, what's the context? And they won. Well, did you see that division? That's the perp. That's my point. The division is wide open down there. You give a Baker no credit. Not really. Uh, John McMullen is coming up. With the latest on the Eagles as they get ready for Tampa, Brian Johnson interviews. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Blatt Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. We'll look at the Eagles as they get ready for Tampa. The latest news there. Brian Johnson is going to get an interview with the Carolina Panthers. How realistic is it that he uh, gets hired? We laughed when Gannon got interviews and Shane Steichen got interviews. They both got hired. John McMullen, Birds 365 on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. Longtime Eagles reporter. He's brought to you by the Gallery Bar Book and Games at Ocean Casino Resort. Go to the Gallery. Go to Ocean. Go for the win. For more info, visit theoceanac.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right. As we look at this order of business, Eagles and Buccaneers Monday night, and of course, it's the super wild card matchup. But a lot of people looking at other things other than just the game. Let's bring John McMullen into the conversation. John, you know, you and I were discussing this just a couple of hours ago. Brian Johnson, he's going to get an interview with the Carolina Panthers. Is this one of those interviews uh, that is a realistic possibility? Um, or how do you view Brian Johnson, because I think a lot of people pretty surprised that Brian Johnson is getting a head coaching call potentially. Uh, not me. I, I mean, I, I think he was going to get multiple. Now it's probably scaled back because of the way the Eagles finished uh, finished the season. But uh, yeah, Carolina, I kind of cheated with Jody. That was kind of in my back pocket. Uh, I, I was told, you know, they almost hired him to be their offensive coordinator. Uh, last year and the Eagles kind of said, yeah, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to elevate them when they lose Shane Steichen. So, uh, Steve Wilkes was, uh, the interim coach and was very hopeful to get the job and some say very close and he was going to hire Brian, but didn't work out. Um, and yeah, I mean, once you get in that door, so to speak, um, you know, and you can convince people and, and, and come across well, hopefully. Um, you never know. Um, you know, not a lot of people thought Nick Sirianni was going to be a head coach. So, you know, he got in front of Jeffrey Lurie and he won him over. Uh, so it's always possible. And obviously, you know, the focus there will be the best option available to help Bryce Young uh, turn into a, a, a big-time quarterback. And if he can convince some people. Um, yeah, I mean, it's always it's always a possibility once you get that meeting in front of people. 
So he's a guy who's lauded for his work with quarterbacks, uh, you know, as a quarterback's coach, and he's a young guy, 36 years old. But what would you say, John, are the strengths of Brian Johnson in this offense with this team? I know everybody likes to pile on what it's bad, but what are some of the qualities that a team like Carolina is looking at in Brian Johnson that maybe Eagle fans are overlooking? Yeah, I mean, he's well he's been well regarded around the league for a while now. So it's not just about, you know, this season. Um I again, he was he was on the radar, you know, Green Bay at one point. Uh wanted to speak with him um with Carolina. So, you know, he was he was an up and comer um for an offensive coordinator job for for a while. Um and and people had his name sort of checked off from that perspective, and then you're very close from from that standpoint. But certainly, yeah, I mean, it, it's always about, you know, I always say it, it's not about X's and O's. It's about leadership. It's about how you deal with people, how you manage people, um, how you come across, you know, what kind of plan do you have? People like, you know, a- Andy Reid's a big part of it. It seems like Andy Reid, is a big part of everything when it comes to NFL coaching since since he burst onto the scene with the Eagles way back in 99. And people still talk to the, this day about how he pulled the Eagles over with his, um, his, his plans and his, 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 he had everything in place. He, he, he explained who he wanted to hire for his staff. He explained his schedules. Um, just logistics and e- even things like that. So he came across very, very ready to manage uh, a program and manage people. Uh, and I think that's the bigger part, whereas everybody gets hyper-focused on, you know, what we always talk about, play calling, play calling. <laughs> I mean, nobody, you know, it, it's not, that's not the most important part of that job. Uh, John McMullen is with us here as we take a look at the Eagles from Birds 365 on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. You know, a month ago, things seemed all right. They were 10 and 1. Their offense was fourth rushing, fourth passing. What in the last month that has caused them to take such a drop stands out to you? What is the most noticeable thing? If I they were fourth in rushing, fourth in passing, 10 and 1. They're scoring, what, 25 points a game. We just look back over the last month. What in your mind offensively let's start there has changed so drastically well i i think the biggest change really the only change uh offensively is is the turnovers if you take the whole season um you know and obviously that encompasses the good the bad the indifferent um you know last year they were third in the league in offense this year they ended up number eight at the end of the regular season Still a top 10 offense. Um, you know, A.J. Brown, again, you know, 1,480 yards, 1,450 yards. Uh, um, Devontae Smith, 1,000, 1,000. Last year was Miles Sanders. This year was DeAndre Swift. Very, very similar five uh, Pro Bowl offensive linemen or Pro Bowl alternates both years, which is unheard of uh, to do it. And they did it two consecutive years. Um so it's very similar except for the turnovers and, and the inability to take care of the football. 
as much as they had in the past from the offensive perspective. Obviously, as a whole for the team, they also didn't take it away enough. But And, and even if you just boil it down to Jalen Hurts, 15 interceptions, uh, five fumbles on top of it that he gets credited with. So that's 20. That's over, you know, 100% of what he did last year, which I believe was six interceptions and two fumbles. So um, that, that to me is the biggest difference. And you think if you don't turn it over, how much more yardage is piling on if you in, in those particular drives? And you would have ended up very close, maybe even better than you were last season. But the fact that they weren't able uh, to take care of the football as well, I think, is the, the really the lone the lone issue from a, a macro perspective. Now, there were terrible games, obviously, Week 18 and. You know, but that's one I'll flush for the reason of, and I know that's the recency bias everybody's looking at. Oh, how could you play that bad against the New York Giants? Well, we know the situation. Uh, yeah, very unlikely Dallas is going to lose to Washington. The Eagles tried to couch everything. Oh, this guy's playing. This guy's not playing. If, if we're in the game, if they're losing, we'll continue to play. But if they're not, we're not going to play. Well, that seeps into the mentality. So I think it's fair to flush that game. Uh, but there's still struggles, and and whether it's Seattle or, or Arizona, I, I still say it's more defensively, but it, it could have been cleaner. But yeah. Well, speaking of top clean. 10, top ten. Speaking of clean, uh, Brian Johnson was asked today about the last six games and that the offense hasn't been firing all cylinders. And what has he seen from Jalen Hurts? And he said, to be completely honest with you, I think Hurts has been playing some really, really clean football in terms of what he's seeing, what he's processing, how he's looking at it. Would you concur? No, no, I wouldn't. But, you know, it, it's interesting coaches from the perspective of, of, you know, protecting players. You know, if, if you don't protect players, you're terrible. You're throwing guys under the bus. If you do protect players, you're terrible because you're not telling the truth. So it, it's a tough line to walk, Um and we all know, you know, I'll bring up Andy again. Got to do a better job. Got to do a better job. Now, you see it with veteran coaches all the time. Matt Patricia's a a big guy. Got to do a better job. Everything's on me. Everything's on me. Nobody believes it. it but it's kind of baked in of that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to protect the players. Go back to Seattle. Nick Sirianni made himself look bad by protecting the players um, on, on that final interception. Um, so you can't win, you know, but no, obviously he hasn't played as well as he played last season. Um, and, and I just mentioned the biggest part of that is the turnovers. But if you look at just the numbers, yeah, his passing numbers are a little bit up. He, 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 he hit a career high in passing yards. Um, he's a little bit down in running yards, uh, because I think he was trying to very focused, trying to get through 17 games, you know, maybe was a little bit more cautious. I think things will open up in the playoffs. I think you'll see more of the old Jalen Hurts when it comes to running the football. Um, you know, he had some very good moments, passer rating. Last year was over 100. This year it's in 
the high 80s. So clearly he hasn't been as good, but most of that, again, can be tied to the turnovers. John, um, Pro Football Focus ranked the Eagles offensive line as the number one offensive line in football. Um, is that a state of the line play in the league, or do you think that they've had a really good year again? Both. I, I mean, they had a really good year, um, and, yeah, the state of the, the NFL. There's not a lot of great offensive lines. I believe Detroit was number two, probably rightfully so. But I just mentioned, you know, they're 10 for 10 over the past two seasons. Guys either getting Pro Bowl nods or being Pro Bowl alternates. This year, Camp Jurgens instead of Isaac Sayamalo, that's the only difference. Um, is there some reputation involved in that? Maybe a little bit because I didn't think Cam was at that level as a first-time starter, but he's still a solid player. Uh, Jordan played very well. Lane played very well. Jason uh, played very well. Landon played very well. I mean, yeah, it's the yeah. best offensive line in football. It's fair. Um, everybody knows it. Um, and, you know, that remains the strength uh, of the Philadelphia Eagles, the biggest strength of yeah. the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, and, and then, you know, you got the best offensive line. You got Brown, Smith, Dallas, Swift, and Hertz. Is it not perplexing that we're having conversations about the offense? Yeah, I, well, especially how bad the defense is. I, the defense, you know, the offense fell a little bit through, uh, as I said, from three to twenty, uh, three to eight, um, and and most of that you can trace directly to the turnovers. And bang, if they don't, if they have the similar take care of the football, and there's some randomness to that, and perhaps we should have expected worse numbers and turnovers. That kind of explains the slight downtick on, on offense. Defensively, number two to number 26, uh, that is a free fall. Um, and they're 31st in third down offense, 30th in red zone uh, defense, excuse me, 31st in red zone, uh, 31st in third down defense, 30th in red zone. So they're a disaster in situational football, which is exactly what, Nick Sirianni tries to emphasize. Um, yeah, I, I can't believe we're talking so much about the offense, but I, that's well, what people maybe, are upset I, I agree with you, John. It is perplexing because this defense, you know, we talk about the offense because they have really good players on it, and I think we almost say, hey, how come this offense um, can't put together more drives and more points and be this uh, – well talked about unit that it's that it's not you know it's not as dominating as maybe we think it should be but you're right because the defense has been uh, absolutely downright rotten um and i don't know that matt patricia shared anything today that would make you feel any differently i guess he did say that he might play ringo and ricks and 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 get those guys mixed in but um man we talked about it i think uh, on monday there's not personnel decisions you can really change on this defensive thing. You're just going into Monday, I, I guess, hoping that some of these players feel more comfortable in their roles. Is is that what we have to go on? Yeah, I mean, that's what, I you know, you're going to get slay back. Um, and, and But there might be some rust because you weren't able to get them back in the regular season 
you know, if you look at Zach Cunningham coming back from his injury, he did not play well. Uh, so there was some rust there, but hopefully now that he's gotten back, maybe that slows down a little bit and maybe he's back to uh, more of his normal self. Um, Avante Maddox has been slowly ramping up. He hasn't played like himself since he's come back from the torn pack. Maybe he gets closer. That That is all I've been hanging the hat on, so to speak, for the past couple of weeks is those guys getting back in the lineup and improving things at least a little bit. Uh, you mentioned Ringo. I, I've actually been very impressed with Ringo. Um, I, I think he's been one of the few bright spots since he's had to go in there. And he's shown some of the things the Eagles valued, his speed, his length, his physicality. And Rex is, is proven to be a, a pretty solid cover guy for a rookie, but to me, he struggles in the other aspects. He's not very physical. So so I'm higher on Ringo from that perspective, but yeah, there's not a lot. I mean, Nolan Smith, I think, has not been good as a, as a rookie first-round pick. We've talked about Carter and Davis hitting the wall a little bit, and, and maybe just the the higher stakes helps guys like that try to push through it and maybe get better performances by them. Josh Schwetz, another guy who I think has played a career high in snaps, really just shattered his career high and maybe he's played too much. And maybe the added stakes makes them push a little bit harder, push through it. But yeah, there's not a lot tangible to say oh if they do this well i mean it just hasn't been good yeah do you think it hasn't John, been good. do you think that at this point patricia is trying to serve two masters in other words try he, he didn't really he's not a master in size defense so he's trying to weave some of his principles in at the on the fly here and that that has caused this um, maybe I know everybody focuses on the uh, Hassan Reddick um, dropping in the coverage, and you know I mean they lost their it's they lost you remember Mike they lost their minds when he dropped in the coverage last year with with Jonathan Gannon and you know we had to point out look you have to do that sometimes I I, I make the comparison to a, a pitcher in baseball I mean. Nolan Ryan, maybe the greatest fastball pitcher of all time. He didn't throw all fastballs. You can't just throw out. No matter how good you are, it, people catch up, so you got to throw a curveball. you got to mix it up. Mm-hmm. you gotta, you got to show somebody a different look. So, And then you have this cottage industry, and all these guys are tremendous. I'm not trying to pick on them, but, you know, whether it's Orlovsky or, or, or uh, Baldy or, or – you know, anybody else, uh, Emmanuel Acho does a tremendous job. You know, you, you can pick out one play to prove anything, you know, but that's what TV is, right? You can't, you can't break down all 60 plays with the defense. They've been out there 75. You can't break down all, all 75 plays, but if you show one play with a son Reddick dropping into coverage and he doesn't look good, all of a sudden, it blows up on on Twitter X, whatever you want to call it. Oh, they're dropping us on. I mean, you know, it, it's you got to be careful with that stuff. 
But o- over over a, a full season, this defense has not been good. It's not been good with Sean Desai. It's not been good with Matt Patricia. It's arguably gotten worse with Matt Patricia. I think the Eagles made a mistake. I think you got to let Sean grow into the position. Obviously, that uh, horse has left the barn. There's nothing you can do at that point. There's nothing Matt's going to do to fix these issues. This is about being serviceable and hoping the offense wins games. That's what the playoffs are about. Uh, you play- got to be serviceable and let the offense win the game. Yeah, I mean, if the defense is serviceable, I think I'd be okay with that. If you told me, Mike, they're going to be serviceable, I think I could yeah, say. that's the upside. You got a shot, right. You got a shot then if they're serviceable. Um you know, I'm not asking them to give me a 17-point game. Can you give me 21? If you give me 21 to 24, I got a shot to win that game. They're giving up in the 30s against bad football teams. Now, you know, the game against Seattle, I guess they played pretty well. I mean, can I get that effort? Can I get that effort against Seattle, against, uh, uh you know, Tampa? I, I mean, you lose at Tampa. They well, might start. Yeah, Tampa's not explosive, so right. that, that, that helps as well. So you might, you know. You might even get a fired up fan base coming out of that game. That's what I'm saying. Realizing but if you beat Tampa, Tampa right. good. <laughs> if you beat Tampa, I don't know that you could do anything be- beating Tampa that will change anybody's mind. We'll see. I don't know. You go out there and win 38-3. That might get people re-fired up here. But um, uh, we got a couple more days to look at it because obviously uh, Brian Johnson making news today. He's getting an interview with the uh, Carolina Panthers. Uh, a lot of people thought it would be Sean Desai early in the year because you look back yeah, now, John. I guess somebody thought it would be Sean <laughs> How about we're far from that? Well, huh? you yeah. look back now and say what Sean Desai was able to do with this defense for a half a season, he might have been a miracle worker. Yeah, and that first game in Tampa, actually, I, you know, they were, that might have been their best game. That might have been their best game of the year as a, as a, when you look at for the so-called complete game, which doesn't yep. exist, but well, they, uh, that game they gave they up got. fourteen to the Rams, who were were a little shorthanded uh, that day. The seventeen they gave up to Miami. They played well. I know Miami was a little banged up as well. Uh, so they the, the, the Kansas City game. Uh, he was still the coordinator at Kansas I'm talking City. Complimentary. The offense played well. The defense played well. They they played really well against Tampa. Well, they'll get a chance um, to play Tampa again on Monday night. And, of course, uh, that game right here on 97.3 ESPN. Johnny Mack, we've got a couple more days to kind of talk about it, break it down. We'll talk more about the defense uh, and, and, obviously, Matt Patricia's unit, what they can do over there. But a look at the offense today uh, as they get ready to try to carry this team as far as they can go right here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Thanks, John. All right, thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. And John, as always, is brought to you by the Gallery Bar, Book, and Games at Ocean Casino Resort. Go to Ocean, go to the Gallery. Go for the win. For more, visit OceanAC.com. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. And, of course, uh, man, you look at what's coming up for this team this isn't the biggest challenge in the world, but I think if you if you win this game handily, can you calm people down? Can you get people to buy back in? Eh, I don't know. Maybe. Are the Eagles showing why it's so hard to do this? 
That's coming up next. This is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. It's this. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Mike Gill. Do I have everybody's attention now? On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. 3.31 on a Wednesday. You know, I try to, I'm excited for the playoffs. There's some interesting matchups. The offseason is sadly here. The coaching carousel is happening. Pete Carroll, he's out. And as your team gets ready for a playoff run, you are generally excited about it. But are we seeing why it is so hard for a team to get not only repeat as Super Bowl champions, just to get back there? Three-time Super Bowl champion Gerard Cherry said this on ESPN Radio. But right now, you're seeing one of the things that's problematic about going to the Super Bowl in that you can have that hangover, as we like to say, and I also say malaise, in which you're just tired. And your body's like, you know what? We went through this last year. We don't want to pay the price and do what things is necessary because from a mental standpoint, you understand there's a price that you're going to have to pay mentally and physically, and a lot of times guys don't want to pay it, play it and pay it. That's why you don't see repeat performers with the Super Bowl champions. It's hard to do it. So Philly strikes me to be in that mode because how many times have we heard Jalen Hurts say it and other guys who have that role as captain and spokespersons for the squad say, we're not just living up to our capability. So what does that tell you? That tells you that they're not working hard. That tells you that they're not doing the things necessary to get back there because the talent is certainly there, but simply put, they're not executing. Do we look at what Cherry says there and say, you know what, why should we have thought that this team could bounce back and get back to a Super Bowl, knowing how difficult it is, the mental aspect of preparing for a second run at a Super Bowl. And this is a team last year that had a lot of things go their way. We talk about the lack of injuries. They didn't have a lot of injuries this year that really derailed the season. My biggest concern going into this season was, man, you were really healthy last year. Can you really expect to stay that healthy well kind of they did I mean they didn't lose AJ Brown they didn't lose Smith they didn't lose Swift they didn't lose Hertz they really didn't lose Mylotta Dickerson Kelsey I mean Jurgens I think missed a game or two or three but not like an extended nobody on the line missed an extended period of time so you didn't have really any Goddard missed what four games? The same four games that he missed what last year? I think Goddard missed four games as well. Correct. So on offense, you didn't really have an injury that really impacted anything or should have impacted anything. On defense, all right, you lost Nakobe Dean. You lost Maddox. Slay has missed the last four weeks. But you really haven't had a multitude of injuries that have infiltrated this team. And yet, here you are. And I think what Cherry is saying there that stands out is how difficult it is to maintain optimal focus 
to play at that high of a level. And somehow, this is the perplexing part about it, everybody. Somehow, some way, the Birds were able to do it for 10 games this year. The first 11 games out of the shoot, they still played at a level. You were like, man, like if you're listening to what Cherry says there and shows how hard it is to repeat, you're like, man, they still got out of the gate and won 10 out of 11. Like, you got to give them a lot of credit for the focus that it takes to do that. But then conversely, you take a look at what's happened over the last six weeks and you say, do they just mentally break? And that is why I wonder yet again, something had to have had derailed the focus of this team because they displayed the focus. They displayed, hey, we went to the Super Bowl. We're the best team this conference had. Everyone's going to give us their best swing. And everyone's swinging at us, and we're ducking and bobbing and weaving and finding ways to win by points, the scorecards, a TKO here and there. And now all of a sudden, has the focus just completely, have they, are they mentally drained or did something derail them? I think it might be, my reaction would be both. By the way, Jurgens missed six games this year. But I don't think Jurgens missing six games is a reason why they are in this position. I don't think he had that huge, he ain't, he's not Jason Kelsey or Lane Johnson, right? So, to me, I think what Cherry said was interesting in the fact that he said in the middle of that that, you know, guys, their their mind gets to what do I want to keep doing this to my body again and again? And he said, you know, it's not like they're saying I don't want to play, but you know, maybe their body and their mind just, you know, almost quits on them. So it's like, you know, the whole idea of, you know, you want to do it, but you physically can't pull the trigger as quickly. And maybe that is for some of the I mean that to me is the biggest has to be the biggest reason why for Brandon Graham. I mean, that guy's body's got to be breaking down at this point. Yeah, I mean, Graham has certainly not had the same impact that he had a year ago. He was very impactful last year. I can't remember Graham having an impact in any game this year. I, I just can't say, man, Brandon Graham really stood out in this game. I think or, he had one game. Where whatever, he one play. game. It's not memorable is my point. He has not had a memorable season. There's nothing that he has done this year that you were like, man, where did Graham get the fountain of youth from? You know, at some point, you know, I talked about this a couple weeks ago. When you're watching the Eagles, and I think it was on the Sunday night game they were playing. Was it Dallas they played on a Sunday night and they got whipped? Maybe it was. Yeah, Sunday night in Dallas. So they're playing Sunday night. And and Tariqo talked about Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham. And it was when he made that comment, like, oh, the, the old guys are still out there. And at that point, I said, yeah, that's the problem. The old guys are still important to this team. And I liken it to if you went to the offensive side of the ball and this offense was built around Julio Jones. Julio Jones just isn't the same guy anymore. He can have a role. He can be a part-time player. He can be, you know, a guy who catches three passes for 27 yards and two of them happen to be in the red zone. But he's not catching nine balls for 130 yards week in and week out. And I think the Eagles ran into a situation for the first 11 weeks of the season. They're grinding and running hard with Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham and Darius Slay and James Bradbury. Then you bring Byard here. You got another older guy. And at some point, you just don't have the same, you know, gas left in the tank 
with guys of that age. And look, it happens conversely on the other side. You got young guys. The Eagles just don't have, and you could go to Howie Roseman on this. I got no problem throwing Roseman uh, a couple of detractors here. I mean, nobody does anything 100% right. That's why, you know, if you're a fan of somebody, I don't understand why you, you could be a fan of somebody and still have negative things to say about them in certain instances. That doesn't mean you're still not a fan. I like Roseman. But one problem this team has, specifically on the defensive side of the ball, and somewhat on offense in some areas, and we can get into that, but more on defense, there's not a lot of middle ground. It goes from Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, um, and there's not a lot of in-between. Like, even Hassan Reddick now, you don't have guys who were kind of in the middle of their primes. There's not a lot of guys who are like the 25, 26, 27-year-old player on this team that when Graham, who is 35 years old, I mean, Josh Sweat, you could say he's one of them. Josh Sweat is one of the guys on this team. He's 26. So he, that's the kind of guy I'm talking about. There's not a lot of guys who are like in the middle, right smack like in their prime on this defense. It's kind of like you're either the old guy on defense or you're on the other side. You're the young guy. You know, you're looking at Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis, and those guys look like, you know, they kind of hit the wall a little bit here. So I think on defense, it's a weird makeup of this team. And it's one of the things that Cherry talked about there is you got a lot of guys last year, Bradbury, Slay, Fletcher, Brandon, who, um, you know, played long last year and were highly, you know, I liken it to this. I suck at golf. I'm terrible. But if you ever played golf with me before, anybody who's ever played golf with me out there, and there's not a lot of you because I don't really play, but there's a few people who may play golf with me. And every once in a while, I'll play like three holes in a row where I whack one right, smoked one right down the middle of the fairway. And you're like, what the? And then I'll chip one from about, you know, halfway in the fairway right up on the green. I could be mentally focused for about three holes if I really focus on like, you know what? I really want to play well this hole. The problem is after the third hole, I am mentally drained at trying to remain that focused because I'm talking to my buddy. I want to, you know, you're driving the car and you're like, my God, I am just trying to have a good time. And to be good at this game, I have to stay so mentally sharp for the whole four hours that I can't do it. And that's why I'm not a good golfer. And I think there's a part of some of these Eagles that played about 12 really sharp holes of golf. And now on the back end, they're like, man, I played 18 or 17 great holes last year. And the last one, I was, I was a little, now the Super Bowl to be unfocused is, is, is not fair. But my point is, you got to be laser sharp to get to a Super Bowl. And then to be refocused again the whole season, I think that's kind of what Cherry is kind of insinuating.
the difference, though, and I can hear fans saying this, listening on 97.3 ESPN, Mike, is they're saying, yeah, but, Mike, your job isn't to be hyper-focused at golf. Golf is not your job. You're, the professional athlete's job is to be that hyper-focused, that zeroed in. Oh, I get it. I, I, I totally understand that. But we also sometimes forget that they're human beings True. and that you're asking another human being to be basically subhuman should then should though so based on that should we have had less lesser expectations for well i think year? a lot of people have kind of commented that the expectations maybe were a little bit out of whack for this team here's the problem i have with that i think they have the talent to be competitive with san francisco and dallas maybe they're not better maybe they're not as good but they had the talent to be competitive enough that on one day with the right game plan they do have the talent to they beat Dallas already this year. Can they beat San Francisco on the road? They shouldn't be in that spot. The game should be in Philadelphia. And now you're saying this San Francisco beat me twice in my own building. You beat me here once, shake your hand. Beat me here twice. The problem has become you lost that opportunity and now you've gotten to the point where you don't believe you're even on the same level as them. More Sports Bash coming up when we return. It is my Fine Five, Ugly Five, Playoff Edition, and it's next. It's the Super. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. As the Eagles travel to Tampa to face the Buccaneers on Monday Night Football. He's at the five. He's in. Touchdown. The Eagles win. Hurts does it again. Hurts does it again. Are you kidding me? This is South Jersey's official home for Eagles playoff football. 97.3 ESPN. Uh, my NFL Fine Five, Ugly Five, Five Best, Five Worst Playoff Teams. They're brought to you by the Piccalilli Inn. Visit them on Facebook or com For their pick game specials, be sure to pre-order to guarantee your spot in the Sunday lineup. Nobody beats the Piccalilli Inn. Visit the one, the only original Piccalilli, Route 206 in Shemong. Mike Gill and the Sports Bash. All right, my Fine Five, Ugly Five, Five Best, Five Worst. Now, there's only 14 teams, so four are going to be left out here. But Five Best, Five Worst. Getting ready for the NFL playoffs wild card weekend. My two number uh, ones on both sides uh, would be the team that I think can win the Super Bowl and the team that I think has the least chance of winning the Super Bowl. Okay, so the Eagles got it. Uh, not quite, but I-, I contemplated them. Number five of the teams that have the least chance. My ugly five playoff teams. Number five is Houston. Um, I think Houston has a shot to beat Cleveland. That's why they're five and not completely out of it. The matchup, you know, because I think Houston might be the worst team maybe in these playoffs, but their matchup, I think, is winnable. They have a home game. I like that fact that they're playing at home. I don't know that they're going to win the game, but that's why they're five, because they have a shot in my mind to win the game. All right? Okay. So if they didn't have a home game, would they be higher? Yeah, if they were playing on the road at Cleveland, I think they probably – or if they play – let's say they got stuck playing Kansas City or they got stuck playing – 
you know, Baltimore. Well, Baltimore is a one or both or Buffalo. Yeah, I, I don't think they win, but I think they have a shot at home to beat Cleveland. Yeah. I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not going that. But that's why they're five. Okay. okay. Number four, Green Bay. I think Green Bay has a small chance to beat Dallas. I I think Dallas is. If Dallas played the Rams, I think the Rams have had a better shot than Green Bay does. Uh, Green Bay to me. It, it has a small chance. Uh, number three, I've got Philly. I think Philly can beat Tampa, but I don't think they can beat anybody else at this point. Uh, number two is Tampa. <laughs> That's funny. I think the, the, those two teams, uh, I was listening to Mad Dog on a podcast today. He was uh, the guest host for the Marshan and Allran podcast. Okay. And he said that ESPN got the, the, the worst of the playoff games because they got stuck with Philly and Tampa. And this is the dog game. Nobody wants it. Um, he's not wrong. Nobody cares about Tampa at all. And Philly is so discombobulated right now that these two teams are both in my ugly five because I don't think whoever wins this game, I think has no shot in the next round. If Tampa wins this game, they're going to get lambasted by San Francisco if they play San Francisco. Gotcha. So they're two. Philly's three, Tampa's two, because I think Philly beats Tampa. But if Tampa wins, I think they lose. And if Philly wins, I think they lose. Uh, The ugliest team that I think has the least shot to win is Pittsburgh. I just think Pittsburgh is so blah. Um, They're not good on offense. They're They're decent on defense. Yeah. um, And I like Buffalo. So I'll go Pittsburgh, number one. In my ugly five. I think they have the least shot to win the Super Bowl. I like it. I, I think that was a very reasonable list there. All right. Fine five. Give it to me. Number five, Buffalo. They're at home. They're at home. They end up with a good seed and a good matchup. They're playing Pittsburgh. Number four, the Lions. It's a tough matchup with the Rams, but they're at home for the first time since 93. And if they win this game, at least it gives them a little bit of mindset that we can win a playoff game. They haven't won a playoff game, the Lions, since what, like the 50s? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> so you got to get one first. Number three is Dallas. I think Dallas is going to make it to the NFC Championship game. How much do you factor in that they're home as well? Because there's Big time. I said before, if they're five, they got no shot. They're at home. They'll get to the NFC Championship game. They'll probably lose to San Francisco. Number two, San Francisco. Why? Because I think Dallas is better than the AFC opponent, and I think Baltimore is the number one AFC team, and I don't think the number two is close. And are you saying really quick that you believe that 49ers are more likely to get upset than Baltimore? Yes. I think Dallas has a better shot to beat San Francisco than Buffalo does to go to Baltimore and win, or Kansas City or anybody else. The four teams that didn't get included, Cleveland, Miami, Kansas City, and the Rams. I think the Rams are the most dangerous team. Interesting. People are, are people just completely discounting Kansas City. Are they the AFC Eagles? We're just, if you're a Chiefs fan, you have no interest in this team right now. Uh, when we come back, Andrew DeCecco is in for Mosher for Wednesday's edition of Football at Four. And he joins me next on the Sports Batch on 97.3 ESPN. 
97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Andrew DiCecco, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. We're never satisfied. That hunger for more. That hunger for more. I have it. Everyone has it. Now live from inside the Matt Blatt Kia Studios, this is Football at Four. And Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. It is brought to you by Bet365. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. Andrew DeCecco is here. That that fire, do they have it? Can they refind it? Andrew has been along this team all season long, and I'm wondering if he can put his finger on where it's been lost. Is there a time that you can pinpoint Andrew inside that locker room or something that happened that you could say, you know what, this team changed at this moment? Uh, is there something, something, anything that sticks out to you? Well, there was nothing at least inside the locker room or internally that, that really caught my attention. More so for me, it was the San Francisco 49ers game. Just at one point, you know, being down 21 to six, just getting thoroughly outclassed. I think it, it rose to, it really, uh, drove home the point that the Eagles, it showed the discrepancy between the two teams and how far away the Eagles actually were to being considered among the NFL's elite when you finally face a team that was superior and they exploited a lot of your weaknesses. I think there they left that game with a lot more questions than they had answers, and that's really where you started to see, okay, are we for real, and are we going to be able to get this fixed? Do we have do we have the guys in place to, to make sure that we get this righted? And I think that if, I, if that were me, like me guessing right now, that's where I would pinpoint it. Yeah, I mean, that game was interesting because you really, you know, got dominated. Then the next week you lose to Dallas, and, you know, that was a sloppy game. But is it surprising to you at how clunky this has all looked? I mean, it's one thing, you know, hey, we just don't have enough talent. But they don't not only seem to not have enough talent, and we know this is a pretty talented team, they look disorganized and clunky, and this team just looks uh, so out of sorts from the first, you know, half of the season. Yeah, I mean, it really does. And you can argue that even in the – the early part of the season, they still lacked that cohesiveness, that that ability to put teams away early. And I was one who commended them early in the season for being one of those teams that rose to the occasion when their backs were against the wall and found different ways to win. They didn't really face a whole lot of adversity at all last season. And I thought they did a decent job in, in the initial months of, of, of the season in responding to that. But then you started to see some of the blemishes really surfaced, especially when you faced teams that were able to exploit that. They were equipped to exploit that. And then you started to wonder, oh, okay, is this really – are they going to be able to get this corrected realistically? Sometimes you can't just get by with pure talent, especially defensively, when you don't have a lot of – when you have a lot of aging players, you don't have a lot of bona fide playmakers. There's not a whole lot that you can that you can do to alter your scheme and things like that. So that's where it started to become reality to me that this is the, this is sort of who the Eagles are. Let's get into that a little bit. Uh, what are you seeing defensively? Because I know, you know, you're in the, the building, so you get a chance to see them from up top, kind of that aerial view. What are you seeing defensively? I mean, if you're watching the game on TV, it might be a little bit harder to see. But to me, it seems as if 
Matt Patricia was basically handed the playbook of Sean Desai and then tried to implement some of his own principles, and you have some sort of morphing of two different defensive schemes that really aren't on the same page. What do you see from your seat in the press box? Yeah, I think to a degree that that's fair to say, and I don't know that you and I have even touched on this subject because I don't know if you were you were on air or we may have been pass, in passing when they made that actual switch. But I talked to Ryan about this a few weeks ago, that, and I maintain that Sean Desai got a raw deal. I thought he was a scapegoat, and a lot of folks were saying it can't get any worse. Well, it got a lot worse. And you're seeing Matt Patricia try to put his own, you know, sprinkle in his own, you know, get his fingerprints on the defense, and not necessarily for the better. You're seeing – players like Josh Sweat being asked to drop into coverage. You're seeing Hassan Reddick being asked to take some snaps at off-ball linebacker. You're seeing a number of, well, you're seeing a, a heavy three-safety look, but you're also seeing a, a heavy uh, a heavy usage of personnel, so you're, you're not necessarily getting a lot of continuity. Guys are shuffling in and out of the lineup. There's not a lot of cohesiveness or continuity on that back seven, and it seems like, and this is including veterans like Kevin Byard and James Bradbury, and the linebacker, they're just not on the same page. And at this point in the season, that's inexcusable. And you have to wonder, uh, Do you, I mean, at this point, you're not really going to see a whole lot of changes. But they, they should have simplified things because when you're seeing veterans like Avante Maddox and James Bradbury and Zach Cunningham and Mora, who's a really smart guy, and they're not able to get this down and they look lost out there. I can think back to that play on, on Sunday where it was Tyrod Taylor threw it down the left sideline there was three Eagles defenders there. It was over top of Maddox. Reed was coming over, and Ricks was behind that and ended up making the tackle. There's three guys in the area, and no one knew who had the receiver. That, to me, is, is emblematic of what the Eagles' issues are defensively. And that was just the Giants. What do you think a team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going to be able to do to exploit your weaknesses over the middle? I just see Matt Patricia complicating and already – uh, a defense that was already reeling and had a lot of players questioning what their responsibilities were. Yeah, and I know a lot of people are very perplexed at why a guy like Josh Sweat or Hassan Reddick drop into coverage. And look, that happens from time to time, and sometimes it happens through the course of the year. We don't really notice it all that much. But what do you say when you're seeing them guys being used in that role? Is it a, hey, look, this happens, everybody drops their, you know, or are you perplexed as much as a lot of people are? Well, perplexed in the sense that these guys weren't, they're just now being asked to do this. If you're going to ask that. that so in other words, but in other words, Andrew, Gannon and uh, Desai did not ask those guys to drop or at nearly as much. Not nearly as much. And if this, if this was part of what they were going to be required to do this season, well, that's something that you implement in OTAs and in training camp. You don't just throw it in there This at this stage of the season. When guys are ill-equipped to do that, they don't look comfortable doing that, and you're not putting your best players on defense in optimal position to be successful. So I think this is a classic case of Matt Patricia getting too cute and trying to put his spin on, on Sean Desai's defense and complicating a, a, a defense for for players that, you know, and, and, and that's what you're seeing. And you're seeing just guys that are not on the same page. Teams are taking advantage of it, and... And the even better teams are, are going to, to, to pounce on that pretty early. If you, I mean, you saw it last week on that 18-yard completion on the, I guess it was the first play of the game, Darius Slayton. Teams are, aren't hesitating to, to take advantage of, of the Eagles. The middle of the field's wide open. 
and it's sort of parting like the Red Sea. Yeah. And like I said, it's it's Matt Patricia right now, and and he's he's taking a defense that already had leaks in it. I don't don't get me wrong, Sean Desai was I'm not absolving him in any of this, but he took that defense and somehow found a way to make it worse. Uh, Andrew Checo Football Four from InsideTheBirds.com. Give me your thoughts on the Sidney Brown uh, injury and what kind of impact will that have? I you know he's a rookie, so I don't know if people are looking at it as a big as big of a deal. But do you think it's a big deal? Yeah, I mean, a lot of folks may not agree with it, but my main takeaway, I thought that the most significant takeaway, I should say, coming out of that Giants loss, was the loss of Sidney Brown. When you look at it in terms of a player who the Eagles were banking on to be a starter next season. Well, now his timeline's murky, and that might not be till October that he comes back. So now you're probably going to need two starting safeties. He was a key depth player, who, and the Eagles were really reliant on three safety looks under Matt Patricia. Well, now that you have to sort of scrap that, I would think, and, and find a way to, to utilize different players, unless you're going to rely on someone like a Tristan McCollum or, or I don't know, a Makai Garner or, or whatever. But... I, I also think that he he was just a player that was growing and evolving into a role, and not to have that, your depth takes a tremendous hit, and you only have two safeties you can rely upon, and then you have two younger players that really haven't played a whole lot of football in the players that I just mentioned. Andrew, um, we talked about this earlier before you came on, but you know we we, we were kind of, kind of comparing the fact that people are looking at Brian Johnson getting a uh, head coaching interview with Carolina. And saying, hey, take him, drive him to the airport. And we talked about John Gannon getting an interview last year and then ultimately getting hired. And people were so ready to move on from Gannon. I'm not suggesting that this defense would be much better if Gannon was here. Maybe they would. My opinion would be that they would be better. That being said, that's not my point. My question more is, there are multiple guys that were here last year in a similar defense who are not having anywhere near the same year. What is your thought on why guys like Sweat and maybe Reddick and Graham, um, Bradbury, even Slay, mm-hmm. if you want to throw him in there, are not having the even close to the years for some of those guys that they did last year? It's a great question. I have a few answers to this. When you're looking at it in terms of Josh Sweat and Brandon Graham, to me, that's well, it's in Brandon Graham's case, it's age, and I think that it's starting to surface. They're minimizing his snaps, and when he's out there, he hasn't been overly noticeable or effective. But in, when you're looking at from Josh Sweat's standpoint, there's not a whole lot of depth behind him. There, he's being asked to do a lot, and he's wearing down. It's it's as simple as that. He's wearing down. He's he's getting his pressures, but he's not finishing the deal when he is getting to to the quarterback. I look at that Arizona Cardinals game on that touchdown pass to James Conner, that's a play that you have to finish because he had Kyler Murray in his crosshairs and wasn't able to wrap him up. But largely, I think you're seeing a defensive line that's been asked to log a ton of snaps and they're wearing down. They just have tired legs. But you have to look at Howie for not supplementing their, their, the depth. And going into the season, Mike, that was something that I mentioned, the, the depth on the defensive line. It was really top-heavy. But there wasn't a lot of reinforcements to, to sort of replenish like a hockey line like they've had in the past. Now, in the secondary, that to me is a, a classic example of a unit that just got really old, really sluggish, and slow. And it shows up on tape when I've rewatched the game back. It looks that way when I watch it in real time. And they're missing tackles. But in, when you, in James Bradbury's case, you talk about 
uh, rush cover, cover rush. The Eagles have struggled to marry coverage and pass rush this season. And when you're asked to cover longer and your pass rush isn't getting home, and you're a guy like James Bradbury who doesn't have that long speed, that that makeup speed, and he's not overly fluid, you get exploited a little bit. The Eagles had 70 sacks last season, and and sometimes the it was a by, Bradbury was a byproduct of. The, the pass rush getting home. And now that they're not doing that, you're seeing teams stay, be able to take advantage of it. And by the way, there were opportunities last season for Bradbury to get exploited, and some teams had success in doing that. Others, you, if you go back and watch the tape, you'll see receivers getting a big step on them. They just don't happen to look in that direction. And and Blankenship's being asked to to take on a larger role this season. And I don't know that he's super, he's equipped to do that. I think he's wearing down. He looks really small. I think he looks to me like he's lost weight throughout the season, uncharacteristic missing tackles and and things like that. So um, that to me is, is sort of the answer that that I've been able to ascertain from watching this defense. Good this year. stuff with Andrew DeCheco breaking down some of the uh, defensive issues uh, that obviously uh, this defense is completely. I think it. You know the offense has been clunky. It is what it is. But I mean they they still even in by by accident sometimes they score twenty four to, to thirty points. I mean which is crazy to think about. But I think this defense has slipped so much. That it has given people no hope, and and, and you you know talk about um, seventy sacks last year. It, do you think the seventy sacks that they got last year is more based on the talent or the scheme that they had? Um, now you're down to forty three this year. Yeah, and and, and forty three is still a good number, but seventy sacks was never going to happen. That was a historic number that was you know you'd be hard pressed anybody would be hard pressed to replicate. But Javon Hargrave, losing him, that interior pass rush up the middle, he would have 11 sacks last year. That was a big loss. And the linebackers behind the defensive line, T.J. Edwards and Kaiser White, were, were better better fits for that defense for what Jonathan Gannon needed them to do in, in run fits and, and fill in the gaps. But I, I thought that there was just a lot more uh, of, of a fresh set of legs, a healthy rotation. So I, I just like the... The personnel and and what they had available to them, they were able to send waves of pass rush out there. And it seemed like guys were fresh throughout the season. Whereas now, you just don't see a lot of push. You don't see a lot of fight. And and Mike, you and I have talked about this. These are against offensive lines that are among the league's worst that they're not able to take advantage of. Well, I think that's a good point. The, Jets, the Seahawks. That's a great point, Andrew. That we could have looked back on. Now, if you're looking at like where the breadcrumbs could have started with this defense. Games against Washington, as you just said, the Jets, teams that just do not have good defense, offensive lines. And I remember, you know, we do the matchups on Thursday with you all year, and it's like, well, they have a big advantage up front against this offensive line. And at the end of those games, you're saying their defensive front did not win that battle. And that's why those games, you lost to the Jets, and the two games against Washington were way closer than you thought because – the defense didn't – you gave up 30 points both times you played Washington. Those were some hints that this defensive line was not the same. 100%. And I've been asked this a few different times throughout the season, what's been the biggest, the most surprising element to the Eagles this season, in my opinion. And to me, it's the, the lack of pass rush. Going into the season, that's what this team could hang their hat on. That's what they invested heavily in, and that's what their philosophy really – uh, that's what it's built on. And they're not able to get home. And their offensive line, you know, looking at the other side, they're not, they haven't been 
performing to to standard. They've been they've been fine, but they haven't been performing to standard. But looking at it from a defensive line standpoint, that's something that I that was it was a foundational piece to this team, and something that you could you could build around. And it was ultimately going to help the secondary. They're not able to get home, and you're seeing a trickle down effect to the and it's sort of. Uh, it's bleeding into the whole defense, and it's it's problematic. They're not able to stop anybody, Mike, and and I don't think that there there's 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 one team out there that this team couldn't lose to. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're getting pushed around and bullied by, I go back to Arizona. Um, you know, watching uh, Blankenship try to tackle some of the guy, you know, at the the goal line, yes. and he's just getting run over. You realize, like this guy is just smaller. He's slower, mm-hmm. um, and and it's at those moments where you're like, "This is." It's almost sad to watch. You felt I felt bad for Blankenship in some way. Yeah, exactly. And and read to me, and I, I I was sort of building off of what we were just talking about. He's someone that he looked fine in his four starts last season, and and I think the Eagles unfairly placed a lot of pressure on him by anointing him as the starter unchallenged really and he's worn down you haven't there wasn't a large enough sample size there to definitively say we got our answer right here and now we just have to find out who's going to be playing opposite him because remember in training camp they alternated a lot of players around him but reed was the constant and i don't think that he was really challenged and i also think that he's just ill-equipped to to be a starter in, in this league i think he's a classic number three and you're and when when there's been times where he's looked fine, there's been times where he, he his, his tackling is rather shoddy. He mentioned the the Cardinals game. He mentioned him getting run over, uh, trying to tackle Saquon, who pretty much carried him three yards in the end zone yep. on Sunday. And he's a player that you could also look at in the Kobe Dean. Those were two guys that the Eagles went into the offseason and through training camp, pretty confident that those guys are going to be foundational pieces to their defense. And you could argue, not not so much with Reed, but you can certainly look at it and say those two players have not lived up to the expectations that the Eagles put on them, fair, fair or unfair. Uh, Andrew, Brian Johnson got a head coaching uh, opportunity today, and I know that you were excited about him at the beginning of the year. When you look back at his season, um, you know, the head coaching thing is sometimes it's relationships. Obviously, he's a guy who was good um, – uh, history working with quarterbacks, so I could see the synergy there. Um, but was he a guy that was disappointing? Do you think that he was about what you thought he would be when you look at this offense, Brian Johnson, this year? Well, gosh, you and I could do uh, you know forty-five to an hour just talking about Brian Johnson and my impressions of the offense. But he's obviously a, a lightning rod, you know, across the Delaware Valley and and, and the in the surrounding areas right now. It's uh you know, it's a polarizing guy, but look, I, you're right. I did go into the season with high expectations of Brian Johnson, just like many did. And do I fear he's been? Do I feel that he's been unfairly maligned? Partly, yeah, I do feel like he. It's easy to point the finger and say he's the main culprit for the Eagles' demise, Eagles' shortcomings on offense. He certainly has a hand in it. He has not been great at all, but there are certain you could point to different parts of the season where lack of execution, and you look at the end of that Seattle game, which was revealed, uh, you know, uh, a couple weeks ago from A.J. Brown last week, really. And I just think it, it is a, a collective, collaborative effort in what's what's caused the offense to not reach expectations. And, yeah, Brian Johnson, you'd like to see more creativity. 
You'd like to see more innovative route concepts and things of that nature. But I also think that there's been many times that I could point to this season where the offense has lacked execution, has lacked discipline, untimely penalties, and things like that. So they're all, all across the board, they, they really have not lived up to their expectation there. I'm not surprised, Mike, that he's getting a head coaching opportunity. He was highly sought after even last season. You know, Steve Wilkes, you may remember, with the Carolina Panthers, wanted to bring him on staff. But the Eagles, it was the, it was the worst-kept secret in the league. The Eagles knew that he was going to be their offensive coordinator. And, you know, I, it doesn't – it's not going to – their people's impressions of him isn't going to be drastically altered after one season. And there's a lot of different – there's a lot of different factors that have contributed to – the Eagles' shortcomings on offense, and yes, he has a hand in it, but he's far from the the primary reason, in my opinion. All right, Andrew. Monday night, they're going to play uh, probably an inferior talent uh, in terms of roster in, in Tampa Bay. Do you think that Nick Sirianni and these coordinators on both sides are coaching for their jobs? If they lose this game, uh, the next time we talk, are we going to be talking about who the next coaching staff will be? Well, you, you can if they lose this game in dramatic fashion, you can make a case for for the head coach being replaced. Uh, although it may be slight and not very likely, but I have a hard time envisioning Matt Patricia coming back, and Sean DeSai most certainly won't be back, given how things have played out there. I think you're going to see a whole new defensive staff. That's gonna, there's going to be an overhaul there offensive staff is going to be kind of interesting because you look at the quarterback coach and Alex Tanney, young coach, but has Jalen Hurts improved or has he regressed mechanically? To me, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of signs that reminded me of the 2021 version of Jalen Hurts. Maybe you look at the quarterback coach might not be back. We don't know what's going to happen with Brian Johnson. I, don't, I think that if he doesn't get the head coaching job, a, a head coaching job, he'll probably be back because – can you imagine if you're a prospective coach and you're looking to come to Philadelphia and you just got rid of your offensive coordinator and your defensive coordinator within a year after you just, you know, you, you bang the table for these guys? Yeah. I mean, I mean, what does that say about the stability of this organization if you're willing to do that? But all that being said, I think you're going to see a complete overhaul of the defensive staff and probably some offensive coaches that that uh, that won't be returning. Uh, by the way, if you're just tuning in, Brian Johnson has a uh, interview with the Carolina Panthers uh, for their head coaching job. So uh, keep that in mind as he gets ready. And uh, Assistant uh, General Manager Alec Hallaby is interviewing for the Commanders GM job today and the Carolina job on Friday. So uh, some interviews happening for the Eagles as they get ready for a playoff game on Monday night. He's Andrew DeCecco. You can read more of him over at InsideTheBirds.com, and he does a great job right here on Football at Four on the Sports Best. Thank you, buddy. Anytime, Mike G. Talk soon. All right, man. We'll uh, keep up with Andrew, of course, all throughout football at four here on the Sports Bash. It is brought to you by Bet365, whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash. This hour of the show is brought to you by Broadleys Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Broadleys is your trusted source for heating and plumbing service and installation for generations. Call them at 609-390-3907 or visit them online at broadleys.net. When we come back, it is today's Sound of the Day. It's the Super. 
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. As the Eagles travel to Tampa to face the Buccaneers on Monday Night Football. Now they've got him! They've got him! It's a sack! This is South Jersey's official home for Eagles playoff football. 97.3 ESPN. Yes, you can hear the game Monday night here on 97.3 ESPN. Time for Sound of the Day. It's brought to you by Boardwalk Honda. Football playoffs are here, and Boardwalk Honda is giving you the chance to score big. Shop online at BoardwalkHonda.com. Remember, from Maine to Miami, nobody beats a Boardwalk deal. Uh, Josh Eddings, my producer, and he has today's Sound of the Day. So as you know, Micah, everyone has a thought or an opinion on the Eagles right now. Is even though they're in the postseason, they're well, they might be one of the worst teams in the postseason, at least according to the Mike Gill's Fine Five Ugly Five rankings. And you're not the only one who believes that. So what do we do with the Eagles? Well, they were talking about it this morning on Get Up. So Jeff Saturday was asked about the Eagles' offense, and he had a scathing review. The issue for the Eagles is there's no identity. And what Hawk was saying and what your point was about, you know, they, they loaded up early in the season with A.J. Brown. It was all these big plays and massive plays. When you look at them from last year to this year with Shane Steichen now and now with Johnson, as you look at this football team, they do less of everything they did really well last year. They barely use motion, so they're very static, right? They don't, they, they don't use QB runs nearly as much. So everything they're trying to get accomplished, they're doing less and being more predictable. That's a problem because your talent can't overcome all of those issues. Yeah, um, your talent can't overcome all of those issues is interesting. Because that sounds like Jeff Saturday, who was, by the way, a head coach in this league just a year ago for a handful of games. Is that his way of saying he doesn't think this team is very well coached? I. It sounds like what he is saying is that the coaching staff is not doing their job. That's what it sounds like to me. Because he says they have no identity. He says you know you know they're they cannot overcome the talent can only do so much. Yeah, so that sounds a direct indictment of the coaches. Well, I think do a what, better job. I think what Andrew brought up was was very you know compelling as well, and I agree. This is a team that got old pretty quick. You know, you balance age a lot, and you're trying to decide when a team hits that mark of we're going downwards as opposed to upwards, right? You had a lot of guys play the best they ever played last year, and you decided that that wasn't going to go down. And if it was, it wasn't going to be a precipitous drop. It was just going to be potentially a slight drop. The problem was you had an apex and then a plateau. You had not really a lot in between for some of these guys, and I think that is being on put on display late in the season here. They got through it. For the first half of the season, the schedule got more difficult. The problem I have with the part of the schedule getting more difficult is they got through the difficult part of the schedule. What were they, three and two through that five-game stretch where we all said, man, they got this five-game stretch coming up, and it's going to be brutal. The problem with the schedule was the three games at the end that they lost against three non-playoff teams, and that's inexcusable. Regardless of age, you were the better team in all three games. Heck, 
Seattle just fired its coach, Pete Carroll. They didn't fire him, but they decided to move on. They didn't make the playoffs. Arizona won, what, four games this year. And the Giants won, what, four games or five? Four, because they beat you, I believe. So you can't sit here and say an 11-win team had less talent than any of those three teams. That's a big problem. It's a huge problem. By the way, I saw on Twitter that uh, you'll appreciate this. Or maybe you won't, Mike. I don't know. Um, I appreciated it, which was Pete Carroll told the media that he was hoping to have a walk-off for his career like Roy Hobbs. Apparently, he paused and he said, I realize most of you have no idea what movie I'm talking about. Well, listen, I told you earlier um, that Pete Carroll was on the radio in Seattle on Monday. And it said, quote, I plan to be coaching this team moving forward. The article says the 2023 season will not be the end of Pete Carroll's tenure with the Seattle Seahawks. The head coach told Brock and Salk on Monday. He was on the radio Monday saying he was going to coach this team next year. A lot must have changed in 36 hours. I I don't think (laughs) Pete Carroll is on board with the decision that happened in Seattle today. I just appreciate the Roy Hobbs reference, that's all. Yeah, uh, the natural. Yeah, exactly. I know what it is. Well, I wasn't sure because you, you don't you don't watch a ton of movies, so I was. I didn't see that. I haven't seen The Natural, but I am aware of Roy Hobbs. Okay, so at least you have the 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 social and cultural sports movie awareness, even though you haven't seen it. That's right. Gotcha. Breaking the light. Mm-hmm. Robert Redford. It's one of his greatest roles, in my opinion. There you go. Um, so moving on with the get up conversation after Saturday brought it up, Mike Greenberg then turned to Dan Granziano about situation with the Eagles and Graz decided to drop this on everyone about the Eagles. There are people around the league that are watching this situation for a potential potential coaching change, honestly. And I don't know that that's the, the thought inside the Eagles building at the moment, but you know, these things do get around. This is a franchise that fired the only coach that has ever won it the Super Bowl two years after that happened because they felt like the direction wasn't right. So the fact that Nick Sirianni was in the Super Bowl 11 months ago, I don't think that alone makes him safe, right? If they feel like it's going the wrong way and they need changes, I wouldn't put it past them to make them. I wouldn't put it past them to make the changes either. Um, and I'm not suggesting that they're warranted or not. If, if we Take that part out of it. Are they warranted? I'm not saying yes or no. Would they make the move? I think the answer is yes. I think if the Eagles felt that it was time that this has hit the apex, much like some of the players did or have, I would not put it past them to move on from this coaching staff. Not one bit. I thought it was a little eye-opening the way Graziano framed it when he said, people around the league are watching this situation. What are they watching, though? Are they trying to scoop up Nick Sirianni? Are they trying to scoop up Brian? I mean, Brian Johnson got a head coaching interview today. I don't anticipate he's going to get that job, but if he does, you know, I'm wrong. I mean, Sirianni's probably better than some of these other coaches who got fired for sure. I mean, I think we all, we assume that Sirianni would be better than Arthur Smith, right? You know, maybe he would do a better job than Ron Rivera. You know, maybe John Schneider in Seattle is looking at Nick Sirianni and being like, maybe that's my new Pete Carroll. Maybe. I mean, would Sirianni get another opportunity? Uh, Sure. I mean, 
We all thought that Doug Peterson would have got scooped up immediately when he got fired, and he had to sit out a year. Right. He did get hired, but it took a year. Would Nick Sirianni get fired, and then all of a sudden teams would be lining up to get him? Eh, I'm not so sure about that. I I think Siri, you know, the whole conversation about the Sirianni thing taking a similar situation uh, parallel to Peterson, where they say, "Hey, if you want to stay the coach, you're going to have to get rid of some of these guys," and he says, "No, then fire me." I think Peterson had the chutzpah to say it. Because he knew he could get another job. I want a Super Bowl. I'm going to get hired. Nick Sirianni does he say, does he have the same chutzpah to say I know I'm going to get another job? I don't know about that. It's interesting because you know you look through football history and just because you go to a Super Bowl doesn't always mean you're going to get other jobs or other opportunities. You know Brian Billick's a perfect example. Brian Billick won a championship with the Baltimore Ravens. He never coached another NFL team. After the Ravens got rid of him. Yeah, he was a weird situation in that they won the Super Bowl because of their defense. And he an was an offensive coach. guy. Yeah. Um, so I, I thought, you know, that's a weird situation. He's one of the rarities. Though, well, is because, Sirianni a weird situation? Um, no, because he's a young guy. So I would think that he would have. But I don't know, man. One of the problems that I have with Sirianni is I don't know how deep the Rolodex is. You know, You took his two top targets. Shane Steichen's my boy and John Gannon's my boy. We coached together. They're my guys. And you took them from him. And I don't know that he's got a lot more. I mean, Sean Desai, I don't think was his guy. I think that Howie Roseman kind of found Sean Desai. Right. And I'm not sure, you know, if Brian Johnson doesn't work out, then what? Does he have another guy in his arsenal of, of, you know, offensive minds that he wants to go out and bring in here? Well, as for example, is Kevin Petula, you know, not in literally, but in, in the sense of this conversation, is he to Sirianni what Press Taylor was to Doug Peterson? Because remember, part of his why Doug was gotten rid of us because Doug wanted Press Taylor to be the offensive coordinator, and the Eagles were like, um, no. So could that be the part of the rub with Sirianni? Is like, hey, Petula's my guy. And the Eagles are like, he's not a good enough guy for us. Yeah, well, guess what? If you end up getting rid of Brian Johnson, then do you say, Ken Petula's my guy? Or do they say, no, we're going to give you a guy? I don't right. know. Does, I mean, does Jeffrey Lurie get on the phone and call Frank Reich and beg him to come away from his beach house and come back up north? Yeah, that's the problem that I have in terms of – that's not a problem, but you asked the question, would would – Sirianni automatically get another job because he went to the Super Bowl last year. And by the way, I think I read, or we were talking about this this morning on Birds 365, Nick Sirianni is 14th all-time in NFL winning percentage. He dropped from 8th to 14th when he lost the game on Sunday against the Giants. That's still top 20. Right, I'm saying he's ahead of like Don Shula. I mean, he's top 15 all time winning percentage. That's wild. So you would say, hey, there's a guy who's won a whole bunch of games. I don't know. I, I, I you, you mentioned that he's a um, better option than guys that got fired. Yeah, I don't think that Arthur Smith or some of the guys that got fired would get picked up, but there are better options. Like, for instance, Antonio Pierce has not been named the head coach for the Raiders. 
The Titans have already put in a request to interview him. Now, we should know that that's a formality, though, because league rules say that you have to go through the interview process and that in order to fulfill the Art Rooney rule, that you have to interview a non-in-house minority candidate. Right. But Tennessee has put a request in for Pierce. So if they want to hire him, essentially, I don't think he's under contract to be the head coach for the Raiders. They can no. hire him. But what I'm saying is is that the, the Raiders could have an agreement in place be like, look, we're going to hire you. we get, we got to go through the league rules so we don't get in trouble and lose a draft pick. Mm-hmm. Well, So there's that. So a guy like him, he's already got interest. Right. Um Trying to think, uh, you know, Vrabel. There's another guy who was a coach last year who's going to be a coach again. And you said yesterday if the Eagles were to get rid of Sirianni, you would love to see Vrabel here. No doubt. I I like Mike Vrabel. I think Mike Vrabel, to me, has done the most with the least. And, by the way, him and A.J. Brown had a good relationship in Tennessee. They did. So you got that going for you that uh, A.J. would probably uh, be pretty happy he he got the most out of a, a a mediocre roster there. They were the number one seed with thirteen wins two seasons ago. I don't think anybody listening can mention remember you know a, anybody on that team. With all that being said, Andrew Hawkins, former NFL wide receiver, finished the conversation on Get Up this morning, saying he does not like the idea of the Eagles potentially getting rid of Nick Sirianni. It would be a terrible decision yeah. to get rid of your coach, who was maybe one pass interference call away from being a Super Bowl champion right. a year ago. Yes. He was able to galvanize his team and get the most out of his players last year. He loses all of his coordinators, and they're trying to figure it out. Yeah. They started this season 10-1. and one. They've been da- bad down the stretch. We understand that. They've had continuity issues. We understand that. But you have to give coaches and quarterbacks the opportunity to figure it out because how else can you offer stability as a franchise? That starts to trickle down to players. Well, they've done it before. That's the problem is they had success in changing coaches. They Well, Andy was there for 14 years. They never won a Super Bowl. But Andy being there for 14 years built the stability of the franchise, which is built on Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman because – they had Chip here for three years. They blew him out. They had Doug here for three years. They blew him out. Now they have Sirianni. This is his third year. Does it all continue to follow of Jeffrey Lurie? And that's why they're not going to hire a Mike Vrabel or a Bill Belichick. Jeffrey Lurie. Um, he loves the fine. Well, that they believe that they find the next guy, right. not bring in the guy. They find the guy. And that's why. Uh, but. Sirianni, he's at that three years. Chip went three, Peterson three, and now this is Sirianni three. If he loses this game, will it be three, three, Well, Peterson three? was three removed from the Super Bowl. Overall, Peterson was 2016 to 2020. That's five years. So, But it was three years removed from the Super Bowl. From the Super right. Bowl. Uh, all right, Sports Bass Live 97.3 ESPN. I see the text board has a lot of action on it. We'll open it back up, 609 609- 403-0973. The Eagles were number one at something. I'll tell you what it was coming up next. It's this. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
Mike Gill. Do I have everybody's attention now? On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. So, Pro Football Focus, which does its rankings after the season, did its rankings for the best offensive lines. And the Philadelphia Eagles, believe it or not, have the number one offensive line in all of football. They are number one at something. Do you think their offensive line is the best offensive line in football? Does it seem that the line is as dominant as it was a year ago? It's definitely not as dominant, but are we also saying the rest of the league is worse too? Apparently. I mean, because when they did their grades, they said their line is the best line. Uh, I saw that feature from Dan Orlovsky on SportsCenter last night, and I was pretty amazed at he was taking shots that the offensive line was a part of the problem in that they are not getting out of their stances. They are not selling plays. They're not selling play action. And that he was really critical of the offensive line's role in some of the offensive problems. I was pretty surprised to see and hear that. I think we all just take for granted that the Eagles' offensive line is what it is, which is, hey, they're really good. But what role have they had in all of this? It sounds like Pro Football Focus doesn't think that they're at the top of the list because they were ranked number one in the PFF rankings. Read more about it at 973ESPN.com. All right, next hour, first look at the NFL wild card schedule at 530. But when we come back, I've got a ton of text messages that I want to get to. And if you want to text in, it's a great time to do so because I'm going to read them all off coming up next, 609-403-0973. You text, it's next here on the Sports Bash. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Blatt Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Wild card weekend, super wild card weekend. We're breaking it down for you. I got a lot of text messages I want to get to. 609-403-0973. Mike Gill in the Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. I think if you look at the matchup, the Eagles are the more talented team, but we know there's more to it than just talent. What do you guys think? Hit me up, 609-403-0973. Shoot me a text. I'll read and react. Coming up in 28 minutes, we'll look at this week's Super Wild Card Weekend. I'll give you my thoughts on all the matchups. That's in 28 minutes from now. But first, 609-403-0973 as we take a look at uh, your text messages. Was that your best Josh Hennig impersonation, giving a number that's not 5 or 10? What was it? He said in 28 minutes. Well, I'm looking at the clock. That's a Josh Hennig thing to do to get nah, not necessarily time. because I can see that it's 5.03. And if I'm counting down to 5.30, if I gave the wrong number, then that's not the exact time. Yeah, but usually, That's where an exact time would work. But usually you know, you're the kind of person who says, you know, hey, coming up in about 20 minutes from now. You don't go hyper exact usually. Yeah, I, I see your point. But I think that, you know, in this case... Because I'm looking at the clock and it said, oh, two, I know 28 minutes is 530. Okay. So if I tell somebody, you know, in 25 uh, minutes, then they're going to miss some of the segment. 
Gotcha. See what I'm saying? I see what you're saying. So I'm trying to be as exact as possible. In that instance, it works. In your instance, it never works. Well, it's your opinion. No, it's not my opinion. Everybody has been on board with this over the years. We've gone over this. Yeah, I think there's a huge population that would be on board. when, If you were to say, how many minutes are you away from the station? And you say seven. Most people would say about five. Or maybe about ten. But seven is not the answer. In any any instance, the answer is not seven. Your opinion. It is my opinion, and my opinion in this state is a opinion of large majority. How's that? If you say so. I am saying so. I think if you ask most people, a large majority, in terms of time, time is always... Why is a football game, do they not start it at 827? Well, it's not a round number. That's why. Exactly. You just answered the question. You just backed yourself into the corner. It's not a round number. Time is an essence of zeros and fives, not sevens, not threes, not fours, not eights. It's zeros and fives. How long are you going to be here? About five. You could be six. It might be seven, but about five is your answer. Seven, six, eight, three is psychotic. A psychopath gives that answer. So you're calling me a psychopath. I have no problem with that statement. Zero. I have no problem making that assertion. You are a psychopath because you give answers in time that are not fives and zeros. Well, I like to live dangerously. Yeah, you can live dangerously all you want. But, uh, yeah, so in now 25 minutes, I will give you this week's uh, NFL first look. Is it the final countdown? No, it'll keep changing like it just did. Now it'll be 24 minutes because the clock just changed. Well, now See we, how that works? Well, now that's 24. Now we need the, the opening <laughs> you are, the show 24. When you are, I never saw that show ever. Oh, my goodness. Come on. I have, uh, I know Kiefer Sutherland. In fact, did you see the coach the other day? He had, was it Wink Martindale? Yeah. He had the 24 on the back of his play on call play sheet. Play call sheet, yeah. yeah. I've never seen the show, though. There, I'm almost done suits, by the way. Yeah, you, you blew past me. I have ripped through that show. I mean, like, I have one. No, I have two episodes left in season seven. Seven. Okay. So I want to know really quick, because when we first had this conversation last month, before you went away for break, you said that season two is really dragging a bit for you. So what was for you the turning point with the show? Like, was there was there an episode or a storyline or something that kind of, you know, got you to keep going? Um, Maybe or maybe I think you just, you know, when you go for like we were watching a show called How to Get Away with Murder Mm -hmm. and it was long. It was like seven or eight seasons. Right. So you were so wrapped up into those characters for like, you know, it consumed like two or three months of your time. Right. Going through that show. So you're watching that every night and you're kind of getting into those characters. When you find a new show, it does take a little while to now that these characters have become part of your daily, you know, routine. Right. So I think it took a little while for you to understand Harvey and Mike and Lewis and Donna and Rachel. And all like, the variables that go with that. Exactly. Like, at first, you're kind of, like, trying to feel out who these characters are and what... The, and then once those characters... You know, it's like anything. 
once they had some depth to them and you kind of knew who they were, now I think that kind of grabs you more and, you know, they're, they're evolving as the show is going on. But, gotcha. um, apparently there's like a suit spinoff coming and I think it's supposed to start soon. That's the thing. The reason why this is um, on Netflix right now is because they're they're trying to create a spinoff show. And that's why they had that uh, you know, impromptu reunion at the awards show on Sunday. Yeah, apparently Meghan Markle, though, no one has her number. Yeah, apparently she's not part of the group chat. Yeah, Thoughts? she's out on the group chat, but nobody has her number. It's not even that she's not a part of the group chat. No one has her phone number. No one. Which makes some sense. I mean, it is odd that, I, like... Well, it's a little weird that you would spend that many years working with, like, that would be like, Mike, I mean, you and I have now worked together for better or for worse, full time since 2016. I contend worse. So, you know, but that would be like if you just didn't have my number for some reason. Yeah. Like if I got another job and we didn't work together anymore, but you wanted to get a hold of me just for whatever reason, you know, maybe just, you know, ask me if I still think it's 28 minutes away or not. <laughs> but, you know, the point is, is that it would be like, you'd be like, I don't have his number in my phone. How did that happen? How did I work with a guy for eight well, years? Well, yeah, I mean, that situation I can understand, yes, but, like, we're normal people, so you have, like, other avenues. She might not be on social media. Mm-hmm. Like, I can connect with you, like, on Facebook uh, Messenger, which is one of the ways that we generally communicate. Um, I don't know that she has Facebook and that, you know, uh, Patrick J. Adams can just hit her up on chat and say, hey, are you coming to the Golden Globes tonight? <laughs> that would be a funny conversation. To yeah, see, though. like Rick Hoffman uh, hitting her up and, and, and saying, hey, are you going to be at the awards tonight? So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, the show, now we're in like the seventh. There are times of it where you're like, this is, you know. Like, sometimes shows do go on a little bit. They drag. And there's, like, certain aspects. Like, there's something going that went on in Season 7 with Donna that was just kind of weird. Um, there's something going on well, with... Well, like, for example, one of the criticisms right now of, of the show Blacklist is that it still hasn't ended. And so... I can't believe that because I bailed. Right. You know, that's why I'm asking part of this question because you got to, what was it, Season 7 or 8 of the Blacklist? And you yeah, guys were like, remember. we couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, and keep in mind, uh, and, and look, um, Suits is 40 minutes, so it's a little long, um, but Blacklist was like an hour. Right. It was a longer show, and to keep going the way it was, it was, you know. It was, it was kind of adding years to your life at that point. Yeah. Now, that's the reason why I'm asking the other question, because 24 is an investment. Because 24, every season of 24 for the first six seasons, is 24 episodes because every episode is an hour of the day. Gotcha. So you're not watching a normal, like, you know, 16, 18 episode season. That's 24 times six. That's a huge investment. I mean, like you are getting to a point there where if you're going to watch 24, you're, you're putting aside part of your life. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot. Now, um, I, I do enjoy Suits, but I wouldn't say it's like been of like the most recent shows that we have watched together that this one's like the one, like this one definitely, like the last one, um, like the Americans was oh, really good. Okay. Um, there was, uh, man, I am so bad that I can't, I forget the name of some of these shows that well, I Well, of watched. the ones I recommended to you were, were, I told you to give Suits a try. I recommended the Blacklist. Mm-hmm. And then I recommended Designated Survivor. I saw that. 
It was good. It wasn't like didn't blow me away. The Americans was really good. There was right. the other one with uh, Claire Danes. Which one was that? I don't know if I'm one recommended that one to you. So I don't think so. But that show was really good. Where um, was that? Uh... I'm looking up Claire Danes right now, so I can. Yeah, she was the lead in that one. Homeland. Homeland. Yeah, Homeland was really good. I've heard Homeland is really good. So. Oh yeah, if you haven't seen Homeland, I, I like that one. Designated Survivor was okay. Um, it was good. I mean, it was it was three seasons, I think, so it was quick. And uh, what happened there? Uh, Nick Saban is retiring. Wow, your uh, reaction was like <laughs> that is shocking. Nick Saban is like the most hardcore football dude. Yeah, and they just you know big red across the screen in front of us. Nick Saban is retiring. Yeah. I, I, I turned around. It was up there for a second. It's not up there anymore. Did they, like, pull it back? No. Uh, according to uh, Chris Lowe, who who knows who Chris Lowe is? He's one of ESPN's 20 different college football people. All right. So according to Chris Lowe, Nick Saban is retiring. This is massive. Chris Lowe just made a name for himself. Yeah, he did. Because <laughs> I've never heard of Chris Lowe before. <laughs> You're saying he's one of college football's. Well, he's one of ESPN's like 15, or, yeah. 20 college football people because there's so many college football teams out there. It, it, it's interesting because of the Harbaugh stuff. Like, is he going to stay at Michigan? Is he going to be an NFL coach? Now you have Alabama's job opening up. So, I mean, that, that's a game Is he Pete Carroll right going to Alabama? Ooh, that's an interesting question. I mean, they did ask Pete Carroll at the press conference if, if he was done coaching, and Pete Carroll said, I'm focused on today. Yeah, that means no, I'm not. If there's a job <laughs> opportunity, I just told you, on Monday, he said he planned on coaching the team this year. I mean, he was a really good college coach. The only reason why he left USC was because of all the, you know, the stupid NCAA regulations. Well, now with NIL, you don't have to deal with that anymore. Uh, all right, let me get to some of the text messages. 609-403-0973. Jerry and Afsegan. Looks like Hassan Reddick is lost out there playing back as a linebacker rather than staying on the edge. Yeah, he doesn't look good in that role. I agree with you, Jerry. Uh, I will say this. As Colin Thompson, you know, noted on yesterday's show, Reddick had, um, you know, he, he has played a lot of different, you know, the, the Cardinals used him as a middle linebacker. If you remember when he got drafted out of Temple, they had him at playing middle linebacker. Yeah. Um, so he has had some coverage. Uh, I think Colin said when they played at Temple together that Reddick was a safety early in his tenure in college. Uh, people saying Sirianni is coaching for his job are out of their minds. Took us to the Super Bowl last year. Back to the playoffs this year after losing both coordinators. My linebackers are safeties are and basically no defense all season. Please, I hope whoever it is hire Brian Johnson, Luke from Atlantic City. All right, he's saying people who say Sirianni is coaching for his job is out of their mind. I, I, I can understand what you're saying. I would say though, look at the Eagles' history. They fired Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly didn't have like a four and twelve season, right? He didn't get like a, a season that went off the rails record wise. Did Chip Kelly win ten games two years? I think he won ten games the first back to back years. years. Yeah, and then he everything fell apart. No, he didn't go to the Super Bowl, but no, but winning ten wins back to back years is significant. Yeah, but I think yeah, the Eagles have demonstrated they want to jump out ahead. From when you, when they think that things could go wrong. And if they think, like Chip Kelly 
got let go because they felt that the locker room was was taking such a hit. Right. He had lost the locker room to the point where players were publicly complaining. You know, the infamous Lane Johnson that year, um, basically that, you know, remember he was the most famous one, but there were other guys too that year who were, they were none too happy with Chip at that point. Um, what else we got here? We got a lot of text messages. Sorry, this Nick Saban stuff just kind of, because now I'm seeing other people, because ESPN, they had it on the screen. They took it off and they haven't put it back up. Yeah, well, Bruce Feldman's confirming the report. That's I what see. I said. I saw that Bruce Feldman now confirming it. He's 72 years old. He looked like he was like, uh, like he was having a good time. Like this team was a lot of fun for him this year, like a challenge, maybe. I don't know. The NIL stuff could be wearing some of these guys thin. It may be that it could also be the fact, you know, if, did you ever watch the, the Sabin, um, the, what was it? Sabin and, uh, Belichick? I don't think so. I think it was like HBO. I saw the Belichick and Parcells one. Right. Well, that's the 30 for 30, the two bills. Um, but there, there was one with Sabin and Sabin mentioned something about how, like, you know, hey, man, you know, I don't know what I would do if I were retired. You know, my wife would make me do more stuff around the house, and they would be they were joking about yeah, that. Yeah, that's all those guys' problems. Yeah. Although it's funny because um, Marcus Spears on NFL Live during the commercial was saying about how Belichick, Carroll, Sabin, that all of those guys are so competitive that the number next to their name in terms of their age will never allow them to stop being competitive. And then five minutes later, <laughs> they're all out of coaching. <laughs> right, right. Well, Belichick's still the coach. He's under contract. But all Belichick three of them says. theoretically could not be coaching by the end of the week. I mean, do they all start their own football league? I mean, <laughs> do their what? Start their own football league and compete against each other. Yeah, they, they would do like a fantasy football draft. That would be uh, that would be the way to go. Can, can, what, what, if, what if The Rock calls Saban, Carroll, and Belichick says, "You know, come to my spring they're football." All, they're all coaching in the UFL. Yeah, when's that start? Uh this coming spring. No, oh, right. I'm saying, but is it like the week after the Super Bowl? No, I think it's a little later. Let me double check. But uh, Phil and Brigantine says, "My coordinators have been ta- uh, taking." The too much of the blame, and the players are definitely out of sync and overall playing very poorly. But a few guests you've had on the show have expressed concern with the lack of fundamentals, poor tackling angles, bad tackling, lack of communication, and etc. They've pointed out position coaches are a big part of the problem. Um, yeah, that's interesting because you know, ten years ago, ten fifteen years ago, nobody knew who the coordinators were, right? Right. Didn't know who the coordinators were. And they, they didn't, didn't blame care. coordinators. You just always was the head coach. Now we have started to blame the coordinators. The offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, they're the problem. Are we now evolving to the next phase of blaming coaches to the defensive line coach doesn't teach the right technique? The secondary coach isn't good enough. Like you know, you couldn't name the secondary. Now, I don't know that you can name the secondary coach on the Eagles now or the defensive line coach or the linebacker coach, etc. But are we at the point now where that's the next evolution? You know, one of the things that I think has been a help and a hurt to sports is how much information is out there. We as fans 
know too much. We have too much information to just enjoy being a fan like we used to be able to. Right. You didn't have Dan Orlovsky slowing the tape down, flashing the numbers of guys rushing on the screen so you could see they have, you know, four against your six blockers and your six blockers weren't good enough to pick up their four guys. Now we get a chance to get the all 22 and slow all these things down. So is the next evolution of um, critique the position coaches and the lack of fundamentals and the poor tackling angles. This team, we talked about it. I think Andrew brought up a great point. Reed Blankenship is a good player. He's not a every week, every down starter in the NFL. He's too small. He's not fast enough. He is just one of those guys that if you need a guy to play like three, four weeks, fine. He's like a backup quarterback. Right. Like a good backup quarterback. Like Gardner Minshew, he can win games for you. But if you need him for all 17 games, you're probably about a, a 500 team like the Colts were this year. Yeah. But if you only need him for four or five weeks, he could probably go three and one or, or four and one or three and two. Reed Blankenship should not be out there every single snap for 17 weeks. He's just too small. He wears down. And I thought it was a microcosm of the defense when Saquon Barkley essentially ran through him and then drug him into the end zone. And it was like, dude, really? This is the best you got? You got this guy meeting me at the goal line and putting all of his effort into trying to tackle me, and I just ran him right over. And this is coming from one of the worst teams in football up against supposedly one of the best teams in football. You just don't have... The physicality at that position, is that a lack of fundamentals? I don't know. I mean, I think Blankenship just not big enough, not I mean, strong enough, not fast enough. Yeah, I mean, Bl- Blankenship is just not an elite athlete. It's nothing against him, but compared to other guys in the league, he's just not at that level. Uh, Mike, it feels to me that A.J. Brown and Hurts are beefing kind of like T.O. and McNabb. Eh, I don't see it quite on that level. Yeah, I don't know what that's based on. Because they're not kumbayajin, I guess. I don't know. I mean, you, you you heard this whole thing about when they got traded that. Um, I mean, supposedly they've been they've been really good friends for a very very long time, which I thought was weird. But okay, they had a relationship somewhere. I mean, I don't know where they became such good friends. Oh, you don't know the story? Apparently not. I just. Uh, I'm sorry. I've, is there I've an echo in here? <laughs> so Jalen Hurts hosted AJ Brown his visit to Alabama, and they stayed best friends ever since. Yes. That's bizarre to me. Why? What do you mean, why? You met the guy once in, in a on a college visit, and now he's your best friend in life? Just hit. Maybe you just hit it off. Maybe, but still, like, did they, like... Maybe they both love the same craft how beer. How often did they hang out together? Like, if you said, I went to Alabama, you went to, he went to Ole, Ole Miss. Miss. Where in there did you spend time with that friend? I don't know. The people... Uh... Exactly. That's my point. Sure, you might have had a good meeting with this guy, but they made it like these guys were childhood friends who grew up together and have yearned to get back together and play together. Like, I get it. You went on a college visitation, you met somebody, and you, you hit it off, you became a good friend. But to make it like they were had always dreamed of playing together, hey, guess what? Jalen Hurts had a chance to go play with you. He transferred and didn't choose to play with his quote-unquote best friend. So you're calling bull. 
I just thought it was a little overblown. That's all. Okay. Maybe. So you're not calling him bull. You're just. Like, I, I have weird. no doubt that they were friends. Like I went to when I went to West Virginia. Um, there was I went to a baseball um, summer thing down there, and I met somebody that what played baseball. He didn't go to West Virginia. He ended up going to Tennessee. We hung out all week, enjoyed hanging out. Now this is a different time. We didn't have social media, mm-hmm. and you know that we didn't have cell phones at that point. For God's right, sakes. Right. No FaceTime. I don't even know the guy's name. I hung out with this guy every day for a week. We ate lunch together every day. Uh, we warmed up together, had a catch with him every day. I can't even remember the guy's name. And now you were telling, like, I'm supposed to believe that, like, we if we made it to the majors, that, like, I would want to be reunited with this guy. Maybe, listen, Mike, maybe just some people are different than you, and they just, they have different types of social and familial connections. Yeah, I, listen, I, I, I just think that it was a little, but my point to that guy is I think their relationship maybe was a little blown out of proportion. Like they're friends, good friends. I'm not overplaying that. I think they were and excited about playing together. Hey, we always thought about playing together, and now we get the chance to. Right. Uh, Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. We'll try to read off some more text, but when we come back, man, I got a lot of text messages here. Any of them about TV shows? Or yeah, Nick Mike, Saban? you have to try 24. It's worth the investment. It was one series that when I watch a new episode on Monday night that I cannot wait until the next Monday night. Chip from Lewis, Delaware. That's how I felt. It was addicting. Yeah? Because, like, every season was, like, a new spin. I Everybody I've ever heard who watched that. Do you ever watch Prison Break? Yeah. So apparently the first season of Prison Break was like riveting. It was amazing. And then after that, like once he broke out of jail, it kind of went down. Oh, it, went, it was yeah. stupid because then he broke back in the jail and had to break out of jail again. It was yeah, like, I, I, they tried to rehash the same story. Uh, Mike, check out The Bear. Is that on? Uh, That's on Hulu. Yeah, I don't have Hulu. Sorry, Glenn. That's the guy with the restaurant. I know exactly. It's the guy from... Uh, um, from uh oh man uh it's the shameless it's a guy from shameless oh yes, the yes. lead character in that he's the cook yep. right yeah i've heard great things about it i just don't have hulu um so i can't watch it the last show i watched on hulu was only murders in the building hmm. all right let me uh we'll check out the first look at the super wild card weekend lines i haven't seen any i, I like i don't even i haven't seen any of the line i don't even like the eagles line i did see i don't know where it's at right now but i haven't seen anything for any of these games so we'll look at them coming up next Gov. this is south without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants they all depend on you no matter the weather emergency or time of day you're the ones who get it done at Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Official home for Eagles playoff football. They feel back. He looks. He fires. And it's intercepted. It is intercepted. No, he read it the entire way. It's the Super Wild Card Round as the Eagles travel to Tampa to face the Buccaneers on Monday Night Football. 97.3 ESPN. You're home for Super Wild Card Weekend. Let's take a first look at this weekend's schedule here on the Sports Bash Live. You can listen to every 
Super Wild Card Weekend game on 97.3 ESPN. And, of course, uh, that starts on Saturday at 4 o'clock. It's a 4 and an 8 and a triple header on Sunday. And that all leads into Eagles and Buccaneers on Monday Night Football. All right, Josh, let's see what we got here. Pete Thamel just came out with his list of initial targets of Alabama. Replace Dick Saban. Let's hear the list real quick. I gave you two. Well, no, I gave you one. I gave you one for the Seahawks and one for Alabama. Right. You're filling one job at a time over there. You're filling everybody's job for them. Yeah. (laughs) No, so according to Pete Thamel of ESPN, the target list of Alabama includes Dan Lanning, Kalen DeBoer, Dabo Sweeney, James Franklin, I have no idea why, Mike Norvell, and Marcus Freeman. Okay. Well, I said Dabo Sweeney. He went to Alabama. He played there. Right. And I think he's from Alabama. Yeah, he's a Bama boy. And I have DeBoer. You had DeBoer going to the Seahawks. To be the next head coach for the Seattle Seahawks. Well, they went Pete Carroll last time. They went from college. They took a college guy and went to pro. And DeBoer, I think, is... Is a guy who some people think is is a pro coach down the road. Interesting list, though, for uh, for the Alabama job. All right, let's get to these games, Mike. So let's start with Saturday. Yeah, these are all right. Cleveland, Houston is the uh, four thirty game. That's mm-hmm. your first one. That one is on uh, NBC. Houston's at home. Are they a home dog in the playoffs? It's a tough one, man. Cleveland's 11 wins. Joe Flacco was hanging out in Stone Harbor a couple of months ago. Now he's playing on Super Wild Card Weekend. I got to imagine Cleveland's a slight favorite here. Give me Cleveland two and a half. Mike, you nailed it. Cleveland is exactly Dang. two and a half at every book. You just got back on the bike and started riding that thing. Um, what's interesting, though, with this game it's is my that- mother's birthday, by the way. Super Wild Card Saturday. Oh. Happy birthday. We have a lot of Januaries. We have the 12th, we have the 6th, 9th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 24th, and 29th. Yeah, you guys, your families start having kids different times. There's a lot of making whoopee in whatever, eight months uh, prior to January. Nine months prior, sorry. By the way, what I was going to say is that 65% of the money is coming in on Cleveland in this game. All right. Uh, Next up. Miami and Kansas City. The game is on Peacock. Exclusively on Peacock. It's a problem. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that. I don't have Peacock, and I'm not getting it for this one game. So I guess I'm not watching that unless I go somewhere, right? That's the theory. Any bars out there, can they verify that you're airing the Miami-Kansas City game? I'm pretty sure that there's going to be them, so it would be nice if they could uh, you know, let you know. Yep. Send me a text, 609-403-0973. Your establishment is airing the Peacock NFL game. Let Mike Gill know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kansas City at home against Miami. Now, this is interesting because I think everybody's so down on Kansas City. But Miami hasn't beaten anybody all year, and they got a ton of injuries. And keep this in mind. They played Sunday night, and now they got to play Saturday. So they got a short week, Miami. Now, so did everybody else. Sunday night. Uh, but they played the Sunday night game. Right. And now they got stuck playing Saturday because of, of Peacock there. Um, Kansas City favored four. 
either four or four and a half in every book right now are the Kansas City Chiefs, Mike. All right. I'm doing pretty good in this game. Oh, like riding a bike. Let's go to Sunday. Pittsburgh, Buffalo, 1 o'clock, CBS. Now, you have Pittsburgh as your least likely of all the playoff teams to go to a Super Bowl. I think Buffalo's favored by, like, I'd say nine. Close. It's ten. They went the full double digit yeah. for Buffalo at home against Pittsburgh. So the odds makers seem to agree with me. I don't think there's a ten-point spread anywhere else in this list. You'd be correct. That's the only double-digit spread on the whole list. Green Bay and Dallas, 430 Fox. Dallas favored six and a half. Right church, wrong pew. It's seven and a half. Dallas is the game, the touchdown, the extra point, and the hook for this game. Right. Would you get down with that? that? Uh, I think Dallas probably blows them out. And the Dallas fans, you know, I didn't mention this because the Eagles lost and looked so bad, but Dallas got a hat and T-shirt, and we'll probably hear about it for the next 30 years. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Congratulations to the Cowboy fans. Good for them. Get another hat and T-shirt. You'll let us know about it in the year 2054. (laughs) Remember that year? We remember, yes. (laughs) They generally uh, will let you know that they won something. That's generally their MO. I almost hope I see somebody wearing like a T-shirt or a hat this summer being like, Dallas Cowboys 2023 NFC East. I never, I never buy, well, I I mean, I never buy NL champions or NFC champions or anything like that. You got to win the World Series and then I'll get something. Right. Right. I'm not getting AFC champion or NFC champions or NL, NFC East champions. I'm not buying that. Uh, LA Rams, Detroit. I'm interested in this game. It's NBC. Eight o'clock. You know, uh, Tariko's calling that game, and then he's um, uh, he's doing the game on Saturday on Peacock, Peacock, and then he's doing the game on Sunday in Detroit. He's pulling a Kevin Harlan. Yeah, so he's doing both. Uh, Rams, Detroit. I got Detroit favored. Give me Detroit by five. A little too much juice there, Mike. Detroit favored by the casual three. Okay. They think the game's, game. They think the game's pretty equal, even then. By the way, this is the largest over-under of NFL Super Wildcard Weekend. Would you like to guess the over-under? Hmm. Not as good at that game. Uh, by saying that, I would assume it's like 51. 51 and a half. Wow. There you go. Maybe I'm better at that you game than I thought. You yourself short, Mike Gill. Come on. Uh, Eagles, Tampa. Is Philly still favored by three? Philly is still currently favored by three at every book. Hmm. What's the over-under in that game? It's 15. Over-under <laughs> is 43 and a half. Is that the lowest of the weekend? No. The lowest of the weekend is Pittsburgh-Buffalo. They're 36. Supposed to be cold? Yes. Well, the Pittsburgh's a cold weather city too. So. The games in Buffalo. No, I'm saying like it's not like they're Miami going to Buffalo. No, but I meant is it supposed to be cold? Meaning the elements would be you know cold for both teams. Um, you know when it's cold, sometimes it's hard to throw the football. Hands get a little cold. Get sub 
Supposed freezing temperatures. 24 degrees. Like they could have played that game Saturday night in Buffalo. 20 mile an hour winds for that game in Buffalo. 24 degrees, 20 mile an hour winds. Uh, Mike, the Peacock app is free. It only costs money if you want premium package. Is that true? Uh, well, it's only free if you have Xfinity. No, I have Xfinity. It used to be free if you had because I used to have Peacock. Because mm-hmm. if well, yeah, Peacock, yeah, WWE Network, right? Because that's on Peacock, and Xfinity took away giving it to you for free. I think it's like six ninety nine a month. Mine's still free. I haven't paid for it. I have to check that out. But if it has to do with uh, finding passwords, I'm probably out. <laughs> I don't know any passwords. Um, Good luck, we're all counting on you. Walter Hurd. What's up, Walter? Uh, Mike, 24 is definitely worth. Worth what? I'm assuming worth watching. Is that what worth it all. Is that what you were going for there, Walter? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the, uh, the Peacock thing, I'll check that out. I could have sworn that Xfinity used to give subscribers it for free and then stopped. I mean, you have it for free? I do. Now I, get, I have to watch the super commercials and I'm watching something on it. But oh, maybe that's what that guy's talking about then. Right. He's saying, you know, if you if you don't have to, you know, if you don't pay for the commercial free option. You know, because I, I was. Well, um, during the game, you're going to get commercials. No, but I mean, like, if you're watching, like, a, a binge watching a show. Yeah, I know. Like, you know I'm I've, saying, like, so I don't care about that. A Shaner in EHT. My thoughts on bringing back Chauncey Garner-Johnson, eating up some cap space on Bradbury. Uh, the Bradbury thing's interesting. I was writing about this today over at 973ESPN.com. You are really in trouble with those two corner salaries, the contracts. You don't have potential outs on them until 2025, and even those outs are not fun. Yeah, it was so – we were looking at the contract earlier. They are – you are basically buried. Yeah, the Bradbury contract is bad. The Slay contract, bad. They're both bad. Um, Slay's going to be 34 years old, I think, next year. Getting out of control, man. Yeah, Roseman's going to have to do something there. That's why you can't get rid of Roseman for those people out there. Because Roseman is one of them guys that ties the knot so much. Right. That you can't get rid of him because he's the only guy that knows how to untie them. Right, he's the only guy who knows how to save you. You know, like you, if you blow him out of there, it's like this. These contracts, these cap situations, a mess. And Lori would say, "Well, Roseman would know how to get." You know, that's why Roseman. You know, he's the guy. That There's you, nothing worse than being the guy who's told, "Well, so and so did it," and you're like. Uh, okay. I'm not so and so. Like, yeah. And well, you get someone like Jeffrey Laurie, you know, he's this, you know, this billionaire being like, ah, oh, should be easy, right? And well, it's like, you know, you, you have the guy at work who, similar to you, you're the only guy that knows how to do certain things. You don't teach anybody else how to do it because if you don't, nobody else knows how to do it, then. Well, my proxy. problem is I try to teach people how to do it and then they just they throw their hands up in there. They're like the guy from the meme. Saying, throwing the papers in the air. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, our old engineer, he created this system and then he used to fix stuff and then nobody knew what he did or how he fixed it. It was like, I don't know what he did. 
So I think that's what Roseman is right now. He fixed things. He created the and wheel. He created messes in contracts so that nobody else could come in and actually fix the salary problems. Right. That's a whole nother show, by the way. <laughs> not that I'm advocating for Roseman to get fired. I, I, I do not want Roseman to get fired. Look, a Roseman can stay for as long as he wants for all I care. Roseman is the only general manager that I can think of that the team has been pretty much competitive his entire tenure. I mean, yeah, they have yeah. a year bad here, one there. Well, they've gone to the playoffs six of the last seven years with Howie Roseman. Well, the organization as a whole, I just got this in my email from the Eagles. Um, Eagles? The other day. Yesterday, I guess. Yeah, here it is. Why Eagles fly? Is this uh, where I saw this uh, statistic? Not really a statistic. It's more of a factoid. Um, they have the second highest road winning percentage in the NFL since 2021, trailing only Kansas City. Um, where did I see this? Hmm. Oh, here you go. They have advanced to the playoffs for the third straight year, 18th time overall under Jeffrey Lurie. Since wow. 2000, the Eagles have the third most postseason appearances, 16. Only New England and Green Bay, 18 and 17, have more. So since the year 2000, you've been to the playoffs the third most out of everybody in football. I, I'm not in a rush to get rid of that guy. Sorry. Uh, by the way, Mike Golick on tomorrow's show. More Sports Bash coming up. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. All right, get ready to get out of here on this uh, Wednesday night. Mike Golick tomorrow, Sal Palantonio tomorrow, Casey Joyner tomorrow will give us one thought on every game. Robin Absekin says the number one line... What's that say about Jalen Hurts, average quarterback? Well, this year he's been pretty uh, average there, Rob. P.S. The Giants won six games. Not everyone living here was born in South Jersey. Show some respect to the team that actually plays in our state. Constantly insulting the four-time Super Bowl champions. When did the Giant fans become the Cowboy fans? Did that yeah. just happen? I think it happened with that guy. Sorry, Rob. Uh, the last 10 years, I think the Giants have deserved all the insulting that they have gotten. They had a nice run in the uh, 2000s there, right? Yeah. A couple Super Bowls in the, that time frame. Yes, they did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, good for you, Rob. You're a Giants fan. That's fantastic. Just don't become a Cowboy fan. Right. Never wants that. You're leaning towards that direction. Uh, Mike, hot take from Ben in the Crest. The Eagles lose to the Bucks. Sirianni and the Eagles part ways, maybe amicably, maybe not. Then Sirianni is based, uh, named the new head coach of the Carolina Panthers. He thinks he can make Bryce Young the next Jalen Hurts. 
I'm not buying it. But right now, Carolina is a place where, well, we always say, oh, who wants to coach Carolina because of the owner down there? But anyone will take that job if they get offered it. I mean, especially a young guy. Then uh, Brian Johnson gets offered that job. He's going to take it. Uh, Brian and Mays Landing. Mike Pete Carroll was a great coach. People will be confused when the Seahawks have five, seven wins the next couple of years. It's because he got them those extra two to four wins a season. This is a sad day. Yeah, Pete's a great uh, ambassador for the sport. Uh, how on God's green earth does anyone think the Eagles have a chance to win Monday night? The defense is historically bad to epic proportions. They haven't stopped the play in six weeks. You're right, Dan. Defense is pretty bad. We'll end on that note. Game night's up next. We got two games tonight. Sixers on 97.3 ESPN. Flyers over on Rock 1041. I'll talk to you tomorrow. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.